Hello and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the most, most ethnically diverse of all the Survivor podcasts. As usual, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher and I'm a bird. I got a sore. I'm Mike Bloom and I have heard more about honor and integrity in the past two days than I have at any sort of Wade family reunion. <laughs> and I'm Paul Ossison. We're just four mature guys getting it on, strapping it on and making it happen. Just doing bro stuff. But yes, as I was uh, inferring in my introduction, uh, we were just talking before the podcast. We were making fun of the that our original temp here, Mike Bloom, was just married recently, and so we now have four straight white married men running this podcast, which I believe is the most uh, uh, representative of the Survivor fan base as a whole. So we're, <laughs> we apologize for that. Yes, the cleansing is complete. We are now officially one in the same. <laughs> wow! Shots fired, history. Take that. <laughs> So yeah, so we'll just be hanging here doing bro stuff as usual, although now it's even more bro-y than, bro-ier than usual since Mike's married. So congratulations, Temp. We're going to give him a little hand. Well done. Thank you Yet another much. Another way he uh, copies everything I do, now he gets married. So I like, officially don't even have a role in this podcast anymore. Uh, th- uh, now I'd like to let you guys know I'm actually uh, picking up a Fulbright scholarship uh, in Liechtenstein. So I'll be podcasting from there for the next year. <laughs> Sweet, we can get you out of here for a while, then I can uh, reclaim my reclaim. No, the my Wi-Fi glory. in Liechtenstein is, is crystal clear. I oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is in Liechtenstein. <laughs> yeah, we're still bitter about that, Paul. We had to wait fucking nine months for a podcast because Paul was in fucking some dungeon in Germany with no pod, with no yeah. Wi-Fi. It's, it's a Survivor you know, Historian's equivalent of the uh, March Madness break during Exile Island. Yeah, you could really let that get to you, but you know, chips on your shoulder of regret and anger weigh you down. So you should take Jay's <laughs> advice and just fly. Yeah. You know, I think all four of us probably wrote down that Courtney quote while we were watching this episode, and we've already referred to it twice in less than two minutes. Yeah, yeah we're I gonna thought I was going like to original on that. Yeah, three hours from now is going to be a fantastic time on this podcast. <laughs> all right, so in uh, catching our viewers up, uh, since where we last left off, I believe we lasted a podcast about seven months ago, which was Exile Island Part 2, and we ended with Bruce's colon exploding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's it really hard to talk about. Yeah, I was trying to figure out where we were, so I'm sitting there going, like, did we end on episode 10 or 11, and I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and I, I start scrolling through the episodes, and I'm like, oh yeah, we talked about Bruce not pooping. It's easy to figure out where you where we left off. <laughs> and I have to say, at the end of our last podcast, our, uh, our editor and producer, Tim, I asked him, to, you know that really sentimental music they play, the, the Jenna's mom music? Could you do that? Do that that theme, but do just lots of fart noises and poop sounds in the middle of it. And it'll be horribly offensive, and everyone will love it. So, I have to say, we got a lot of feedback about that music. It plays at the very end of part two of Exile Island. I loved it. Uh, a lot of people loved it. A lot of people hated it too. So I will I will acknowledge it was not universally popular that we took such a beautiful piece of music and inserted fart noises into it. Well, that's how and, we know it worked. Why right? we don't we don't, don't want to remain of a neutral opinion on making such a choice. A lot of people said, I thought you guys were better than fart humor. And I'm like, we're not better than that at all. We're exa- that's exactly where we are. <laughs> no one is really above fart humor I- well, co- in a way. Yeah, coaches, coaches. Yeah, I mean, you can try to be above fart humor, but God, fart humor is so funny. <laughs> on, the, on the survivor scale of fart humor between like Nayanka and coach, I think we're somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> All right, so we ended with Bruce exploding, and uh, we're going to finish off with the end of the season here. Uh, there's some uh, interesting things coming up here. 
We only have about three or four episodes, although I guess how you count these episodes differs whether you depend whether you think of the uh, firebreaking tiebreaker as part of the finale or not. But we're going to finish off the season here. Anybody, uh, anything you guys have to say before we uh, finish off Exile Island here and move on to the hellhole that is Cook Islands? It's going to be. This is really exciting, and I, I think we we prefaced this at the end of the last podcast. But I feel like. These next few episodes, Exile Island is not known as much of a strategic season, and I, I know we, we tend to kind of stray away from, from strategy talk on this podcast, but I feel like this is where we really see Sari come into her own, specifically with this episode coming up with Courtney's boot. But I'll say a couple things that surprised me. I was really surprised to see how much Danielle action we got these next few episodes. I feel like we're going to talk about her a lot more than we thought. And uh, I know what we're going to contest this later on, but Terry becomes an asshole these last few episodes. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Yeah, it's a good I, I thing argue- we all agree on that. <laughs> I would, I mean, I, I would argue, and I, I think I was on record in the first couple of podcasts as saying, I don't feel like Terry becomes an asshole. Uh, I think that Terry had sort of that streak in him, but with less people, and it's not even his back was against the wall. His back has been against the wall pretty much uh, the entire time. But I think that as Terry realized sort of the futile position he was in other than keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, he just sort of ran out of care. And, you know, like his care was a, was a boat on the, on the Panama Canal. And instead of making it through the locks and levers and water heights, it tipped over. That's just in case beautiful. Before- just before anyone thinks this is going to be an absolute bloodbath where we destroy Terry, I'm going to be the one person, I think, sticking up for Terry. So if you are a Terry fan, and I know that he has some fans out there, you will have one lone voice of reason here kind of sticking up for Terry. So just, just I'm giving you a warning. I will not be sticking up for Terry, but I do want to echo similar sentiments about how it's really hard to come up with a better final six than these six people that we're going to be talking about because each one of them is like so awesome in their own way and they bring so much to the show. Yeah, we're going to come at it like four battering rams, essentially. <laughs> oh, I was so happy to finally hear that quote after all the build-up for the season. After <laughs> the months of hype. <laughs> and it's funny when you, when you... I was going to say, it's funny when you hear the quote how it's not even that big of a moment. Jeff just kind of says it in passing. Paul brings up a really good uh, a point here about the final six uh, going into these episodes. The, the, there's not really a dud among these six. I guess perhaps the biggest dud you could you could maybe think about would possibly be Danielle, but I don't even think so because uh, she's got, as Mike mentioned earlier, she's she's got a lot of focus in these last couple episodes. I feel like almost the end of the of the season is more of of Danielle's story than anything else, which I think is indicative of a lot of Survivor editing, where it, the end story is a lot of times not the person who wins but the person who loses, and so we see a lot of the stuff from Danielle's point of view, which. The fact that she's got Sari and Aris and Terry and Shane and Courtney around her sort of makes this. Uh, this was a end of the sh- of the of of the season where I didn't feel like it necessarily ran out of steam. I don't feel like it necessarily gained steam, but it was just really good all the way through the end. I mean, yeah. the and only gonna- way to make it better would be like a Melinda, Ruth Marie, Nick, Dan, like Sally, like those five in in the mix, maybe with Danielle, and that would have been like a perfect final six. But like, this is the best we could get. Dan would have crushed that challenge where they had to stand on the perch because he's used to being in high atmosphere. <laughs> yes. Well, what, to what, what Jay said was that, you know, that Dan, this was kind of Danielle's story. That's something that struck me, too, when I was watching it, that in a lot of ways, it's kind of like Borneo. It's kind of like, you know, Kelly Wigglesworth has this, it's all her moral dilemma challenge, what she's going to do, how she's going to do it and not screw it up. And that's basically what Kelly went through in Borneo. 
The only difference I would say is that Danielle's actually a little more interesting than Kelly, so I think it resonates <laughs> more as Danielle's story. I mean, Kelly never really. Yeah, never mind. Yeah. But yeah, it's, that, I, I see your point, Jay. I thought that too when I was watching it. Yeah, I think as we watch Danielle in these last six episodes, or, or these, in these last few episodes, we're really going to see how she's the most notorious, one of the top ten most notorious villains of all time. So <laughs> yes, keep that's very indicative, that. yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go into this now. We, uh, we got some historian's goodness to take care of here. So uh, we're going into the final six. Bruce just uh, blew up, and we now have basically Terry against the world. It's Terry against... R.S. Shane, Courtney, Danielle, and Sari. And we're going to start off with Courtney still being a little bitter that everyone hates her and thinks she's a poser. Oh, boy. Yeah, this is, uh, I mean, this is going to be, this episode is basically, it's been inferred before, but this is basically going to be themed around the fact that Courtney sucks and everyone wants to take her to the end is basically what we find out throughout this entire episode. And unfortunately, she pays the price for it, but... Man, I mean, we're ta- we've been talking about how much you know, Ari, uh, not Danielle and Sari and all, all of them get focused. I feel like the past, this this episode and the last one has been very Courtney centric, but centric in the fact that it shows how much she sucks at this game. <laughs> yeah, poor Courtney. She she has been taking a beating all season. She's going to take even more of a beating here, and it's it's just a unique moment in Survivor history where someone is actually voted out because they've been taking so much of a beating. It's it's and again, this is going to go into the legend of Sari here. We're about to go right into it. Yeah, well, there is that. I think that Courtney's move is more of a uh, an adept play by Sari, and so if you're marking sort of the uh, sort of the strategy from season to season, sort of ramping up, Sari's going to add a new wrinkle with this season. But yeah, uh, with this episode. But Courtney, yeah. It, at the same time, though, as I've said in the other episodes, as much as Courtney is a, is a wacko and can't get along with anyone socially, which ultimately is the important part of the game, Courtney does very well in these challenges, and she has always continued to do well in these challenges. I think that's something almost in Exile Island. It's We sort of tend to forget because Terry dominates so hard in the individual challenges all season, we sort of overlook everyone else's performances. It was like, oh, well, Terry just beat a bunch of you know school kids in these challenges. No, there were some good people doing these challenges. Aris is no slouch, and Courtney is definitely no slouch. But as far as the game of Survivor goes, she is a slouch. Yeah, we, that's basically the theme of this episode is that she's everyone's goat. I and mean, everyone will mention it at some point that they all want to take her to the end. And although, you know, goat is kind of an, an outdated term, we should just say that she's the Russell, that everyone's trying to take her because she's worthless to the end. Let's just throw that oh in boy. there. Oh, boy. <laughs> all right. So we're getting up to the point. This is where Shane's infamous Blackberry first makes its appearance. I, I had actually forgotten it was so late in the season. Man, we we talk all the time about moments in these middle seasons that typify the time that it took place. We even talked about this earlier this season with Bruce's Livestrong bracelet. This is another big one right here with Shane <laughs> having Lol. a Blackberry made out of wood. <laughs> Lol, Blackberry. Now, I never had a Blackberry. How long, or how long have those been gone? They're not gone. Like, well, I would say they've been, they've been out of style since like yeah. early 20, like 2010, 2011. Um, but the, the, the rise, best thing about... Go ahead, Jay. Uh, I was just say uh, the rise of the iPhone for the most part. Yeah. Um, I would say the, the best part about this scene, uh, well, there's a, some great stuff, but one of the things is Shane talks about all the fun things that BlackBerry does, which is like, it's got texting, calling, internet browser, email, all in one. And it's just so fun looking back on that from 2015 and being like, yeah, that's a common function of our cell phones nowadays. It's not something oh, yeah. that... Uh, Mon- Montana's, we're, just, we're excited to get the BlackBerry whenever it comes our way. <laughs> yeah, pick him off of bushes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like this This whole like Shane scene is kind of like a glimpse into the future of what's to come. 
<laughs> yeah, this season is considered science fiction in Montana. <laughs> I, I don't want to harp on this too far, but I actually did some research on this because I, I thought the same thing too, Mike. It was the fact that Shane has his Blackberry, and I was just sitting there going, like, that is a very dated reference someone being very excited about a BlackBerry. And so I actually researched and was like, when did they go out, as, as Mario said? And I, I learned that Blackberries they're still around. I mean, they're more touchscreen now. It's not really just the, 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 the keyboard functions on the bottom of the, of the phone with the screen. But like, it was kept going further and further out of style. But then BlackBerry, because BlackBerry had like its own operating system or something. But like last year, a couple of years ago, they basically made it so that they could do, you know, Android and iOS and stuff like that. And so more people have it. And who knew that Blackberries were still around? But still, lol, Shane, Blackberry. My favorite part about this scene, aside from all that irony with the, uh, the multiple functions of the phone, is that confession where Shane's sitting there with this psychotic grin on his face, talking about like how he's texting with his son. And he's talking and he goes, yeah, you know, it's actually helping my day. I'm communicating with people. Not on the island. And he has this, I can't, we're going to be talking about a lot of Shane faces, I feel like, over the next several hours. There's no, people need to look this stuff up because his, the visuals cannot describe it. But the pure look on his face looks like he is going to go into Courtney's shitty apartment and murder her. <laughs> My favorite part of it is like the, the, the face that, um, you know, Danielle made for the first time we see it is with the dead turtle of episode one. The kind of like WTF Danielle, like upset face. Like it just cuts to her and she just has this look of like, come on, he's nuts. <laughs> he's a fruit loop. It's, it's funny because you mentioned that, Mike. I, I do like that part where he's, I'm communing with the people, not on the island. But it's, it's one of those scenes, it's, it's, it's very funny in retrospect because this was, this was the lead on the commercials going into mm-hmm. this. This week, it was one of the survivors loses his mind. And, you know, it's, you know, you hear the confessionals of Sari going like Shane has a piece of wood that he thinks is a Blackberry. And that was the whole hype for the episode was, lol, this guy's going crazy and he has a fake Blackberry that he and he's going nuts. And you look back at this scene, this scene is literally like 15 seconds long. And it's just like this very small opinion piece. And what makes it funny is. Shane's little bit at the end and Danielle's WTF face, but Ceree's narration and even the opening part where Shane is talking about his wooden Blackberry, it's actually not all that super funny. And it's just one of those classic things that I kind of remember is that Survivor hyped up this Shane's got a fake Blackberry moment and it's literally 15 seconds long. It's just a little moment piece, even though, even though we, we still talk about it just because Shane is Shane. You look back on that and it's, it's sort of underwhelming it, it, as a whole little segment. Yeah, it's one of those things that ev- seems that everyone seems to remember, but it's very insignificant. Yeah, like it, it's not like this long, drawn out, you know, like Greg with the coconut phone and Survivor Borneo. At least we got some callbacks to that. Like you know, there was a a couple things where you could see him, and they have things like it, it's just one of those moments where they just mention it sort of once, and that's it. You never see him really again with the BlackBerry. It just is that. Yep, GG BlackBerry. Yep. All right, so now we're going to move into the reward challenge, which is the infamous go underwater and unclip shit challenge. Yeah, we're, this is kind of unfortunately, Sari has been a pretty good presence in the challenges thus far, but she sort of sandbags her team here. Yeah. This is one where they, they're in two different teams of three, and the winner gets to go uh, have a barbecue feast on an island. It's not a particularly memorable reward, but we'll get to it here in a second. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm just going to skip through this challenge. There's nothing really interesting other than Suri being weak. But it's, uh, yeah, this is the one where Terry, Courtney, and Danielle just completely dominate the challenge. And, like, Shane gets tied up or something or twisted up. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Shane's well, not bad in challenges, too, but Shane and Sari, I think, were the two weak links challenges-wise, and they're both on the same team, so poor Aris. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's, like, so lame and boring to watch. It's, it just, it always baffles me why this becomes, like, the standard for Survivor reward challenges after the merge and seasons to come, that we're going to randomly put groups of people together and make them do a challenge, like, some kind of obstacle course that you don't care anything about. So, like, I was watching this, and it was so bored, but luckily part the part two of the challenge is so exciting, it really makes up for it. Yeah, super, <laughs> super exciting. You have a good point there, Paul, and... and- People attribute this to more modern Survivor, but it's not necessarily a total modern Survivor thing. It starts here in these these teenage years, but it's the fact that Survivor puts they just make random teams in these reward challenges and have them go out there. At least have them pick teams, or or if because that can at least cause some drama with picking. Or if it doesn't cause drama with picking, I'm always a fan of having a challenge that isn't necessarily meant for teams, having an individual reward challenge, and then choosing people to go on the reward. Like, isn't that more fun to create drama just than we're going to randomly split you up and the winners go and the losers don't? Like, that's very easy to cope with. Yeah. Just think back to Australia when, you know, Jerry wanted Colby as her partner and how much drama that caused in the narrative. Wow. Special cameo by Brittany. Was it me? <laughs> Who was that? That was got to be you, right? That, that was not me. It was so not Paul. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, Tim, make sure to leave in the uh, part of the podcast where Paul's cell phone goes off and it's Britney Spears singing sometimes. <laughs> so now that it's caught, it'll be broadcast to hundreds of people. And it's nice to know that you have the new modern hits in Montana. <laughs> right. This is, you know, to go along with the Blackberry, like, that's what's number one on the radio right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to live it in the past year. That was the best. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> Alright, yeah, so anyway, like I was saying, um, you know, uh, Brittany's distracted me. Like I was saying, uh, yeah, the, you think back to Australia where, you know, <laughs> Jerry had to pick Colby and it we caught all the drama over who was going to be the partners in the challenge. There's a lot of storytelling you can do there that just kind of gloss right over now. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, I think the, the thing that their producers are looking to do is basically what happens during the reward this episode, which is that if we put random permutations of people together, maybe they'll start to strategize. I think there are some holes in that, as you guys pointed out. But I'm a, I, I personally think, A, they want to diversify the challenges, and B, they're hoping that if they put a random group of people together, that they're going to make a deal and change up the game. Yeah. All right, so yeah, we get the winning challenge. We get Terry, Courtney, and Danielle win. And then in a little surprise... Uh, Jeff says, okay, well, there's a second part of this challenge, and the winner gets a new car. So they throw in the new car here at the final six. And this is where they, uh, it's the Krista Hasty Memorial Challenge, where you get to shoot shots and shoot marbles at a tile. Mm-hmm. Or the, yeah, or the, the Rory, gets- F- Rory Freeman Challenge, if you will. <laughs> yes. I just love how yes. much sense this makes. Like, let's do a team challenge where you have an obstacle course in the water. Part two is slingshots to break tiles to win a car. I just love the consistency of it all. And, and, it, and it's literally like three tiles. It's not like a grid of 18 or something like Lord Rory knocked out. It's a grid of three tiles, and the tiles are like three feet big, each one. Like, it's just these humongous tiles that they have to break with the marbles. Like, it's, it's I don't know. It, it seemed like a real strange challenge to give away an entire car for, but Terry is involved, so Terry wins, right? Easy. <laughs> yeah. And at least Judd wasn't there. He would have shot Terry's tiles for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so Terry wins, and Terry gets the new car, which, uh, for because we must say this for our sponsors, the they're a, it's a GMC Yukon car. So Terry wins a GMC Yukon, and he gets to drive them all to their barbecue in his new car. And so, as, Terry points out, as Terry points out, the car was righteous, man. So something that we, we kind of gloss over that I, I wanted to focus on for just a second was that they they also choose someone to send to exile. And Terry basically tells Danielle and Courtney, we need to send Aris. And I don't know if that was a good move on Danielle and Courtney's part. Because if you're thinking Aris is the best person to face off against Terry and the challenges, why would you want to weaken him? I, don't, I uh, Maybe they just wanted to defer to him so that they wouldn't have to deal with him, you know, bitching at them about it. But I feel like that was a mistake on their part to say, let's send our strongest competitor for you to Exile Island. I think the opinion of Terry sort of rides a wave as the season goes along. And I'm very glad that Terry existed in a season of Survivor because I, I think that from the beginning, you know, just just like permutations of this game things just just tend to happen i think that you know people had a lot of what if scenarios as these survivors uh, seasons go on they theory craft and one of them was what if one tribe just keeps winning and we got that with uh you know with karor uh and so i think someone was always kind of on the lines of what if somebody just kept winning challenges now we've had challenge streaks before like colby and, and things like that but colby was never in trouble uh, as far as things go, he was in the majority alliance and always in charge. So he, his winning challenges was just this byproduct of things going on. But Terry has no alliance. He he had some cruddy alliance that is long gone, and he's literally just a lone wolf among the rest of these Kasayas, and he keeps winning. And I think someone, you know, in my head, when when you're going through these seasons, it's what happens when someone's like that? They're on their own and they just keep winning and they keep winning and they keep winning. And so it was really, it's really interesting to watch the other contestants who I think aren't terrible at, sur- at Survivor. This is Aris and Suri and some people that ha- are pretty sharp minds try to deal with this Terry situation. So uh, I'm really glad that this, this end of the game happened because I think we got a lot of information about how uh, to play this out in future seasons. Yep. Okay. And so we're going to go to the uh, reward now. And this is Terry alone with uh, Courtney and Danielle. And he basically starts working them. This is where he starts turn, trying to turn them against uh, Shane and Aris. And he says, we need to get Aris out next. and We'll be the final three. And, and uh, Danielle's actually kind of interested in it. She's taking the bait here. And then uh, and Courtney as well. It seems like it's going to work out. It looks like Terry actually kind of... I think, I think the unspoken thing here is that that Terry is kind of a dick around camp, but he's not the most well-liked, obviously. And so they're kind of thinking, well, you know, he might be a good goat if we take someone to the end because he might not win this Kasaya jury vote. So you can see Terry's actually, his plans are actually starting to work a little bit here. Yeah. Anytime, is- Courtney, anytime Courtney brings up like the notion of like, oh, she would love to take Terry to the end because she could cream him is like <laughs> the most LOL moment like ever to think about Courtney I- like creaming him in the end. And I love the disparity between like that Courtney confessional, where as, as you just said, Paul, she talks about like Terry's going to be the good, a good shot to beat in the final two. Compare that to Danielle, who once she reacts to the deal is like, yeah, I'll take it, but you know, to hell with with trying to take out the other guys at the final four because you're just going to win your way to the end. No, I'm not going to make this easy for you. And you know, again, I think it's going to speak more to like Danielle kind of becomes a little bit of an underrated player in these last couple of episodes, and so at least her showing a little bit of opposition to Terry is good compared to Courtney, who's somehow has these granted he might be a dick around camp but his story is going to trump anything if he makes it to that final tribal council yeah villain alert villain alert danielle (laughs) that's that's the thing about terry is that you look at it out there 
you know, you could try to, you know, oppose him. And that's the whole thing is that when Terry says we need to get rid of, rid of Aris, it's a very clear cut uh, thing where Terry is like, Aris is my only competition and no one else is really competition. Yet at the same time, there's a thought of, well, if Terry's just going to keep winning, maybe I then need to include Terry into my plans. And so it's not a matter of Terry suddenly gaining a social game or becoming any more likable or anything like that. It's just that his situation was so bad. And now his situation is, it's, it's not a matter of what can we do to Terry. It's how do I work around Terry? And so this is, this is the, the, the fun part that's going on there. And like you said, Mike, Danielle is starting to actually sort of craft this out. And so she sort of goes on a line of, I'm going to oppose Terry. But she starts to get, you know, she's, she's now starting to think of, how can I maybe use Terry? And, and that's something that I think that is a story to go on these last few episodes of this season. Yep. Oh, that's good. I agree with that. That's it's basically can be slowly becoming Danielle's story. Although the first time you watch this, you think this is actually Suri's story. And we're about to get to that right now because this is where Suri's plan is going to start to take effect in that everyone around camp is mentioning that they want Courtney to be their goat, except for like Mike pointed out, Courtney thinks that Terry will be her goat. But uh, yeah, so they're all worried that Courtney, they all want Courtney to be their goat. And Suri is wondering, you know, if they all want Courtney to be their goat, they clearly don't have any room for me in their final two plans. So so Ceri's going to start to get a little worried about this. Like, Courtney's got a lot of power around here, and nobody really even seems to know it. So this is really going to be, I think, this is the first time in Survivor history where someone starts to get worried about that, where they, there's this goat that has too much power. Mm-hmm. At least, I feel like this is also one of the first times on the show that, like, granted, I think the idea of the goat was assumed, like, it was assumed very much in Thailand that Clay was a goat. Um, but I don't think people outright said, at least I don't remember people saying like, well, he'll be easy to ta- to beat, so I'm going to take him to the end. You yeah. know, I feel like this is with Courtney, this is the really the first time that people are saying, especially so early uh, before the end of the game, saying like, well, this person, I can definitely beat this person, so I'm going to take them to the end. And this is going to shape so much of what Survivor will follow, especially once we get to the, like these final three seasons and we start talking about weak people to bring. I feel like we really start ruminating the discussions here. Yeah, although, and I have to say, I mean, you know, Suri rightfully is going to get a lot of credit for this, but there's no guarantee they weren't saying stuff like that or about Clay and things in other seasons. Like, just because they didn't show it on camera doesn't mean that people weren't talking about it. I, but definitely, oh, yeah. this is this is a difference in the way Survivor is presented, and it, this becomes a part of the narrative. It's a very, it's a very advanced way of presenting Survivor than the way they didn't do it before the season. Well, like a lot of things with this season, Suri's in a very unique position here because Shane and Courtney are deluded. So you can't really take anything they say with a grain of salt. They're, I'm going to go win this game, lol. But the other couple of people in this game, whether it's Terry or Aris or Danielle, the three of them think, just like you said, Mike, it's, I'm going to drag this person to the end. Danielle, Aris, and Terry believe that they could get to the end on their own agency and take someone with them. And I don't think that Suri thinks that. And that's the whole difference with Suri versus those other three, is that Suri, you know, not not that she's going to be dragged, but Suri cannot power in challenges or things like that her way through the end. She has to work the social angle. And so she very correctly figures out that it's not that Courtney has power in the sense that people are listening to her, but it's it's a matter of Terry or Aris or Danielle or one of those people is going to be around near the end. And if Courtney's also there because everyone wants to keep her, all of a sudden Suri is lower on the totem pole. And so Suri is looking at that as 
if she's there, then I am lower than she and I need to take her out, which was, I think, a different mode of thinking from every other person that was out there on this season. So it was good for that to happen and Sari needs to make something happen. Okay, this, this leads into an interesting question. Do you think Sari was trying to position herself as the goat then? Like, do you think she was thinking, well, if, if Courtney's out here, they'll, they'll probably take me because they don't want to, you don't want to take Aris, you don't want to take Terry. So maybe, I mean, did she really think that she could slip into that final two, someone thinking she could, she would lose easily and then she was going to surprise them? I would say no. I mean, I definitely think that she could use, uh, that argument of like physical competitiveness to be like, you don't want to take Aris to the end or you don't want to take Terry to the end because they're totally going to win the last challenge, though. We find out that's a huge crapshoot anyway. I feel like, Ceri's game is going to be harped on through the next few episodes as her having strong relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And so what I think Ceri's doing is she's making these strong relationships and bonds and trust so that they'll want to bring her to the end. Not because they think they'll beat her, but because they like her and want to see her at the end. Yeah. I'm just curious how much of a goat she really was in her mind. Like, did she, I'm just curious what the perception of Ceri was among the other players. Well, I know what, one thing I've noticed about, and I remember kind of thinking this as the show was airing, and I went back and I watched all the early show um, um, interviews after people had, had gotten kicked off, and like everyone had said it, like starting especially with, with Courtney and Shane, like some of the remarks they made were like, oh, I didn't realize how much Sari was really doing behind the scenes. I didn't realize how much, you know, how much pull she had, which at the time that was kind of like a red, a red flag that I don't think she makes to the end of the game. Otherwise, that would be something she would highlight. But it was interesting out there for them to see that it, it took for the show to air for them to really appreciate all these strategic, you know, moves that she was making. Yeah, Sari. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about Sari and her boot episode coming up. But she's yeah, she's really an interesting character in Survivor history. Where, you know, she's this huge legend now, and everyone loves her. And it's what, what's interesting is she's loved for two different reasons. She's really good strategist. But she was also a fantastic character and very sympathetic. So she really hits both of those marks, which is hard to do. So, I mean, I noticed that more and more the more I watched this season. And these, and, I was going to say, these are these like 10 minutes that we're talking about on Exile Island might be like Ceri's best 10 minutes editing wise because not only do we get these breadcrumbs of her eventually voting out Courtney, but we also have the scene of Ceri catching the fish, which mm-hmm. Ceri's story is probably one of my favorite stories of Survivor thus far, just because it's such a fun idea of like this woman who's a, a literal couch potato and is afraid of leaves on day one to catch a fish on her own is just like something that you can only write. And so to have it actually happen is a, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And if you want a scene where Suri squeals a lot, this is the ultimate squealing scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she also has the great line when, when she's talking about this whole deal, she confronts Danielle, but what are you talking about with Terry and stuff? And, she uh, is persuading her against that and comes up with the line, but I got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. <laughs> All right. Is, uh, is there a bridge in Brooklyn? Is it famous? What? All right. So we get to, uh, there's a big scene coming up here. Again, in, in going with the theme that this is really Danielle's story at the end of the season here, where uh, between Danielle and Terry, about how they make this pact that when they get to the final three, they don't, they don't want the other person to just wimp out and take Courtney, that they're going to go with honor. The top two finishers in the challenge are going to take one another because no one should be dragged to the finals. And this, this They're is going, going to, be- to fight it out like brothers and sisters. And if that is not an argument, I don't know what is. <laughs> but yeah, this is Terry. It's funny because Terry's logic is going to roundabout 
piss off yep. Courtney in a second because Danielle is then going to repeat it to Courtney and say, well, yeah, if we get to the final three, we just said whoever's whoever whoever gets wins the challenge is going to take the second place person because no one deserves to be dragged to the end. And Courtney, you know, correctly figures out, hey, wait a minute, why do you guys think I'm going to be dragged to the end by somebody? And then Courtney all of a sudden snaps and gets pissed off at Danielle because people are insinuating that Courtney has done nothing and they're all going to drag her to the end, which of course is true, but Courtney has not realized it up until this point. I also love the fact that Terry's logic here and his promise comes back to bite him because guess who the first person out of the final three challenge is? <laughs> yeah. That's why, again, it's one of those little irony, irony things that you don't notice until you watch the season the second time. But yeah, I noticed that as well. I'm like, hey, guess what, Terry? If you hadn't made that promise, maybe it wouldn't have happened. I'll make another point here about it's kind of interesting that it's after the season that we kind of really things, see things accelerate in the terms of survivor evolution with, with its transition to the modern day. And we see after the season, obviously, we go to our first, you know, season with the final three. But I think a scene like this just shows you why final two is, is superior, at least in my mind, is because you can't have these three people, like, settle out. Okay, boom, we're the final three. Boom, it's that easy. It's like you have this infighting already about what, what's going to get, what's going to happen when it gets down to three when we have to eat each other. So just another side note of I don't know why, you know, why we're so quick to jump to the final three after we have you know, a lot of, of tension, all, you know, even at the final six about who's going to make the final two. Yeah, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about that because some people have, it's still kind of an unknown what were the exact reasons behind making a final three, but some people have alleged that several, there might be several factors that happen at the end of this season that might have incited the producers to make the final three happen. Yep. And for the record, the exact phrase that pisses off Courtney is free ride. That's, the, that's, the, that's like the phrase that Daniel keeps saying and Courtney fixates on. That she hates ride. classic rock. <laughs> she does. You know what she prefers? She prefers Britney Spears singing sometimes. Oh, I thought you were going to say she prefers people banging rocks together and chanting. Oh, she was ahead of her time with that then. <laughs> yeah, things that piss her off, like free rides, shitty apartments. Like, don't, don't accuse her of that. And Bruce's rock garden not having her in it. Yeah, she's, there's, there's a shot this episode of her continuing to arrange stuff in Bruce's <laughs> rock garden. It's fantastic. Stop, stop fucking with my rock garden, you bitch. Did you hear something? <laughs> I'm in the hospital. It still pisses me off. All right. So, yeah, so this is where, and then Suri, she's fixated now that Courtney is too dangerous and has to be taken out. And this is where Suri starts going around to people and pleading with them, help me take out Courtney. And, of course, Danielle's the one person, the first person she goes to. Courtney's way too po- uh, powerful. We have to take her out right now. And Suri promises, you know, n- whatever happens tonight, I'm getting Courtney out of here. So this is kind of a little cliffhanger as we head into the immunity challenge. And uh, this immunity challenge is one, one of my favorites and one of the more modern uh, challenges where you have to hold your own weight. It's based on how heavy the person is. They have to hold their weight up, and if they drop it, then they fall in a little platform. They fall into the water. I, this is one that I've always liked. It's uh, got some good drama, and it, it works out really well in this episode the way it's presented. I'll make another note here because I keep kind of bringing it back to like this season being kind of a transitional period. I think this is the first time we get like an endurance type challenge that's out of place. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is up until this point. It was like very much standard that endurance challenges happened either like at the final three or at the first time at the merge. And this is kind of the first time that we see another endurance challenge being put at some random number, this time at the final six. So this is also starting a trend of, of mixing up when do we insert um, endurance challenges into the game. When was, yeah. the, uh, when was the water bucket challenge in All-Stars? 
Oh, oh you're man. right on that one. Yeah, they did it on a final set. Good yeah, call. Yeah, it was all the yeah. winning. Yeah. Good call. Uh, but I think it, between that and then there isn't much, right? No, yeah. I is uh, I'm also trying to figure out like as Mario said, this challenge comes back a lot during the like the seasons in the twenties. I'm trying to figure out if this is like the hardest version. I'm admittedly not a very physical person, so I don't know like between like in this challenge it's basically them holding on to ropes that are overhead versus in other challenges it's like you're dangling above the water and you're holding on to a rope and extending your arms out horizontally. I, I don't know which which is the harder situation to be in. I think it's tough either way. That's that's true. I can imagine either one's really a picnic. Yeah. So for the record on this one, uh, again, they have to hold their own weight or they fall in the water. The first one out is Shane and then Sari. Somehow Shane loses to Sari by five minutes. I'm not sure how that works. And then uh, Danielle and then Aris. And then we get down to the end. It's Terry versus Courtney. And they actually last 30 minutes, which is pretty impressive. That's a lot longer. 31 minutes. Yeah, 31. I'm sorry. Sorry, douchey Paul teacher. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah so and then courtney finally falls in and terry wins as probes is more than happy to point out his fourth straight immunity i like watching since we know terry goes on this 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 run i always like watching the little celebrations that terry does you know i think in the one where there only three people competed and where he had to swim out and memorize the symbols he does this like fist pump that i know got gifted a lot on survivor sucks and this one i think he just like he does like a somersault into the water uh, so it's always I always just like picking up on it since obviously Terry wins a lot to just see how he celebrates after every time. Really humble winner. Yeah, it's a very villainous somersault. <laughs> it's, not, it's not villainous. It's just a matter. Well, not of... as much as Danielle. I mean, when she <laughs> fell in the water, there, man, woo. Yes, Jay. I mean it's it's not villainous. It's just the fact that it, you know, and and the thing is, is, it's not necessarily like a horrible attitude, but Terry just uh, if. At this point, I think he knows he's better than everyone at challenges, and I, I get the feeling that he's. This is not the first time in his life that he has been in a situation where he's been better than people at things, and so it's just a, it's a it's just a matter of confidence. And I mean, it, it comes off a little arrogant, and perhaps maybe in a social game you should you know curtail some of that stuff. But by the same token, Shane or uh, Terry has made zero friends. He has zero alliance, and he has zero social skills to get people back with alliances. So at that point, hey, go ahead, do flips into the water. Well, again, he's down five to one. They made no secret of the fact that he's gone the minute he loses. So he just keeps winning, and he's just rubbing it in their face. I mean, it's no different than what Shean was doing at All Stars. Yeah, and see how well that did for she. <laughs> I know, I'm not saying it makes him a great player. I'm just saying people you know, tend to project stuff on him that he's this asshole. You know, he, he does this, he rubs it in their faces, he's cocky. Like Anybody would have done that if they were in his spot. That's just If you're in that position, it's you against the world and you keep winning. It's like, well, ha-ha. I, I wouldn't have, but I would never be in that position because I'm not that athletic. Yeah. I don't know. I just think a lot of people take digs at Terry, but there's no reason for him. He's just he was in a rough spot. Again, admittedly, it was his. He was fault. in a rough spot. He's in a rough spot, admittedly, to you. And so you're like, so let's make it rougher. Well, again, what, how's it going to make it worse? It's, it's <laughs> you keep saying this is a social game, and you're basically yeah. saying what he should do is be anti frickin social. Like I don't understand your logic here. I don't see that as anti-social. Whatever. I mean, we'll, we'll come. I'm sure we'll have we have my, three or four more I challenges mean, to discuss. My, this. my beef with Terry is not the fact that he celebrates that challenge. It's just like an extra, like kind of little strike no, it, against yeah, him. That, but, that's, that's, yeah. not, that's not the center of anything. It's just it's part of the package. It's like you probably shouldn't be doing a lot of things that Terry did. This is one of them. It's this is on its own. This is not very bad. But combined with other things that Terry's doing, it's not an impressive package. And he probably should have changed it somehow. 
Hey, let's be grateful he at least didn't mention his age after he won. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 46! Yeah, we're going to find out a lot in these next few episodes that Terry is, 20, is 46 and Aris and Danielle are both 24. In case you want to, in case you always ever want to remember what their ages are at the time. Well, they were just thinking of the Survivor trivia questions down the road. <laughs> and that was the forgotten question in the Micronesia challenge, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, I thought they, were, they printed that on Pringles. <laughs> I like that Terry is basically Sally O'Malley from SNL, where he like Molly Shannon, where he screams at his age. I'm forty. Yeah, he's he's four. He's four years away from uh, from being Sally O'Malley. <laughs> All right, uh, she said fifty, not forty. Do I have that wrong? Yeah, she said fifty. She's fifty okay. years old. Yeah, oh, one of our math was wrong, so you were correct. Sorry about that. All right, uh, so yeah, so uh, Terry wins his fourth straight immunity, and it appears, for all intents and purposes, that RS is going to be the one voted out tonight because he's the big alpha male. And admittedly, he probably would have been voted out tonight if Suri doesn't start mucking up the plan. So if RS would like to thank anybody for why he won Survivor, he could thank Suri right now because he probably was dead meat tonight. It's interesting. We really haven't talked about Aris at all. And I feel like Aris is going to we're going to be talking about him specifically with his rivalry in Terry, which comes to a heat the last couple of episodes. But Really, I, I don't want to harp on this too much, but it really does become, in a, from a strategic point of view, it becomes a lot about Danielle's decisions. And I feel like we barely see... Aris just seems to kind of be going through the motions. And, you know, we'll talk a lot about him as a winner at the end, about how Jeff Probst went on to like call him one of the most boring winners before he came back for Blood versus Water. <laughs> and this edit is not necessarily uh, disproving that idea. Well, yeah, it's the, well, that's kind of been the perception. Again, we try to tie in these seasons to how they were historically received, and that's kind of how Exile Island was received at the time and for many years after that. You know, it's a fun season. There's a lot of big characters, and then at the end, Aris just kind of slips, slips past everyone. And that's kind of how it was received. And what's interesting watching this, this watching it this latest rewatch is that I wouldn't necessarily call him boring. He's definitely right there with some of the other characters, but he actually gets kind of a negative edit towards the end with some of the Terry stuff. We're, we're going to get into that, too. But, yeah, it's... But again, that was the historical reaction to Exile Island for the most part. Like, no one really loved Aris, but no one really hated him either. He just kind of got past all the bigger characters. Yeah, it, it gets chippy at the end with him, with him and Terry, to say the least. And, and so there is that. But you are right, because we've already talked about the stories that are being present. And I think that something that really struck out at me, uh, and, and apparently Amario on the rewatch, is how much of a story of this Danielle's this season is. But then you also have the story of Terry going on this absolute challenge tear, which is the other big story. And then the other story is Suri. And so you have these three really large storylines going through at the end. And then you have Shane being Shane, who, which isn't a story per se, but, you know, that's comic relief all there. And so amidst all of this, there's Aris, who isn't necessarily doing anything particularly wrong. It's just that he's none of the big stories and he's also not a buffoon like Shane. So... We, he sort of tended to get forgotten, even though he is very present in the season. It's just that the, uh, the, the main emerging storylines don't involve him. Yeah, that's it. That's really about it. There's nothing more you can really add to that. It's just there's a lot of stories going on, and RS is only really a secondary character in a couple of them. Mm-hmm. But here we get into the scrambling for tribal council, but that's the thing is that Courtney believes and Terry believes that he's made this alliance with Danielle and Courtney and they, they're going to get Sari uh, on their side, and they're going to vote out Aris, and, and they're super happy. But 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 Sari basically, is, as Mario has pointed out, and as we've talked about here, Sari wants to get rid of Courtney because she does not like the fact that Courtney is being taken to the end. And so she works on Aris, which is easy because Aris is going to get voted out. But then the, the, the swing person is Danielle. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's it's interesting because, I mean, I do feel like Danielle ultimately made the right decision here because you have to think about the scenario where it, if it was, you know, if they went through with Terry's plan and it was the three girls and Terry, something tells me that as much as Terry is about the, you know, to be the best, you got to beat the best. I feel like if he had his druthers, he would vote out someone like Danielle or Courtney at the final four just because he knows Suri is going to be so much easier to beat in that final three challenge, no matter what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It's, it's interesting because, you know, again, RS should have been voted out here. And I don't, like, I don't like this kind of concept. You see this a lot in the fan community where people give one person credit for steering the action. Like, oh, Russell Hans controlled the game or Boston Rob dominated that season. And I've always pointed out, you know, Survivor's never a one-person show. Lots of people's interests have to come together for certain things to happen. It's never one person steers everything. But this is one of those rare instances where I think Suri really does steer it in one direction just because she can and she totally changes the game and aside from that i'm just curious if rs really got voted out here like you should have who do you think wins this season Hmm. (sighs) well it depends on i mean assume that terry assume that terry goes wins the next challenge and 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 that rs does not win the challenge but it doesn't matter because terry is safe through final four with his hidden immunity idol Mm -hmm. If they don't vote out Danielle and, and Courtney's still around, like assuming that Danielle or Courtney's still around in that final three challenge, and the final three challenge is that lily pad, uh huh. Courtney wins it, right? I mean, if Courtney's there, Courtney wins that challenge. If Danielle's yeah, she's, there, she's I think a gymnast, Dan- so I would assume that she'd have yeah. a better balance than Danielle did. Courtney or Dan- and, and Courtney, if Courtney is sitting there with Terry and with Danielle, I don't think Courtney takes Terry. You don't think so? Ah, uh, it's tough. You know, even if they're fighting like brothers and sisters, <laughs> but they're fighting like brothers and sisters. But Danielle does not turn on Courtney here if if she votes out Aris, right? Right. Yeah. And if Terry so, drops out first in the challenge, Danielle gets second place. That holds up that bargain. It's Courtney versus Danielle in the end, and then we hate the season. <laughs> not me. <laughs> so so it, it seems like if that's the case, then Courtney wins. If the final three is Courtney, Terry, and Suri. And Courtney wins that challenge. It's it's a tough call either way to take Terry or Suri, and I think that probably, you know, Courtney doesn't win either way. Yeah, I just I, I, mean, it, I, I, I don't think there's a clear. Because, yeah, I could see a scenario where Courtney wins that final challenge and takes Suri, and it ends up with Courtney and Suri, and Suri actually wins the season. I could see that scenario. So I'm just laughing at the irony that it's possible that Suri's little plan here may have cost her the game. I think either, that, way, I, either way, I think Shane's definitely going next because, you know, next episode, Terry and Shane try to get Danielle voted out. And I do not think as much as Danielle may try to say, she, say so in her, in her tri- final tribal council, I don't think Courtney was ever going to vote against Danielle. So I think in that next episode, the three women would vote out Shane. And then maybe they get rid of Suri after that. Uh, who knows? Or they could, as I brought up before, they just say, OK, let's vote out Danielle or Courtney so that Suri can very easily finish in third place in the challenge. But yeah. here's an interesting theory craft and why I think that the end of the season is strong, not again picking up steam, but very strong, is I think that other than Courtney and other than Shane, the other four members of this final six, I think you could drop a scenario where e- any of those four people could have won this game. Yeah. And I don't think that you can say that for a lot of seasons of Survivor when you're getting down near the end, where you can have this wide variety of people that can have a scenario in which they win because uh, our, uh, clearly we saw a scenario that Aris wins this game. I can easily see a scenario that Terry wins this game and I can easily see a scenario in which Suri wins this game and you could draw up ways that Danielle wins this game. I think that 
any of those four is very possible at this point to win the whole thing, which makes it strong at the end. Yeah, it's the unpredictability that makes it's what makes it kind of uh, unfulfilling to some viewers because it's not really Aris's story. It's not. It's never the winner's story like they do in a more in a later season. But I also think that's one of the strengths because anybody could have won and it would have it would have worked. It, it makes sense. Right, and and the thing is, is that when you look at it objectively and you look at the strengths of these players and how they play and the scenarios in which they can win, you can come up with scenarios for these four people who win the game. Probably, arguably, story-wise in the season, Aris is the weakest person to win the game as far as, you know, the strength of story, and he's the one that ends up winning, and so it's kind of like, well, that's fun, but not really. So... That that's really the unfortunate thing is that it's not not that Aris is the weakest of those four people. His story was the weakest, and therefore I think people tend to forget this season. But uh, I I said for a long time that Aris was a very underrated winner, and it's very nice uh, you know for him to come back on later season uh, and and sort of showcase you know that he's a he's a player to be reckoned with. Yeah, I would say speaking from a strictly storytelling perspective, if we're talking about the giant comedy scene that is Exile Island, Aris is the perennial straight man. As much as he may have his moments of being an asshole or having his own little yoga kookiness. He pretty much is, you know, the Michael Bluth to the entire Bluth family that is Kasaya. So that, and, you know, in comedy, you don't usually want to see, like, the straight man succeed. It's usually more entertaining when, like, the crazy person who has the more cockamamie ideas ends up winning. So it's sort of a similar situation. To have the person that's sort of been the most normal one out there winning is sort of like a little bit of, like, a sigh at the end of a really exciting buildup. So Aris is the only one who didn't have his own version of the chicken dance. <laughs> he, he, he's the only one that's really seen a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, we're going to go, going to go into Ceri's plan here. Ceri's where she basically gets her and Danielle and Aris, and they're all going to vote for Courtney. And there's a lot of names for this plan. I've heard this called the 3-2-1 plan. Is there another word name for it? I hear, I hear it discussed a lot. That's, that's what I've heard. The 3-2-1? Okay. I, I always refer to it as the shoot the hostage plan, which is from the movie Speed, like where, where a bad guy has a hostage. What you do is you shoot the hostage and it takes them out of the equation. So I call this the shoot the hostage plan. It's kind of morbid, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Brittany. I'm sorry. We don't have as, as peppy worldview as you do. So yeah, so we, uh, with the plan is all set up. Ceri's 3-2-1 plan and uh, we go to the jury and this is where uh, the excitement's about to happen because first of all, Hey, Bruce is back. Bruce survived. He's not dead yet. <laughs> yes. I'm getting better. No, he's not. Do you think he was wearing Depends? Or how do you think that... What do you think was going on there? I th- yeah, by the time they got to the jury, he must have been. Or he was sewn up, one of the two. I'm not sure what was going I mean, on there. What, did they just pump him full of like just like super Metamucil and just cleared him out? I mean, is that yeah, just... Yeah, a lot of know, colonics. Yeah. yeah there's, there's some... Super colon blow going through there. <laughs> Yeah, imagine Phil Hartman in that commercial and just put Bruce's face on that. <laughs> Tim, we have a project for you. It would take 30 bowls of my cereal. 30, I've been eating Ultra Colon Blow for 30 years. You filter it through this t-shirt and get out 90% of the brand. <laughs> I'm glad we managed to work Bruce into this episode. A lot of people were asking Oh, man. So, yeah, so we go to tribal council, and Bruce is there. He gives his little hang loose sign, as, as Bruce is wont to do. And then uh, it comes down to is it, will it be Aris tonight or will it be Courtney? And all of a sudden, these three Courtney votes show up, and you get some great Shane reaction faces. He had no clue that was going to happen. And uh, 
yeah, so Courtney gets voted out. Everyone is stunned except for the three people that made it happen. And again, I hate to say that one person steered the action in the season, but this is one legitimate time where it appeared to happen, where this season just got serried. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and we saw that Sari has influence, even at the at the beginning of the season when it was just the, uh, well, it was Kasaya, but it was the original Kasaya, the, the older women tribe. You know, you could see that she's got the power to sway people. And clearly in later seasons that Sari is going to be on, uh, especially Micronesia, you're going to see uh, this sort of ramp up even further, the fact that Sari can sway people. But uh, this is a precursor. This is just showing us uh, I think that Exile Island, even though the story at the end is Danielle, I think that this is for a, a lot of intents and purposes series season, and so and 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 for a lot of it has been the story so far. But also here you get the fact Sari has been talking very solid strategy all the way through this season, and now you get to see her execute just an absolutely textbook move here uh, to get to get the vote to go her way and to get Courtney out. Not that Sari was necessarily on the chopping block in this episode, but Sari wanted something to happen. Sari got something to happen. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, and I mean, Sari got other people to do something that was good for Sari. So I'm curious, I mean, I'm not sure why Aris and Danielle voted out Courtney. They had no reason to. It's it's just interesting that they would they would do something that was so beneficial to Sari, but maybe not for them. Well, well Aris, Aris, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aris, Aris had no choice. Aris was, I mean, Aris was oh, just yeah, like, right. okay, you're going to get voted out. You have to do what I say. And when you're in that mode and you trust Sari, you say, okay. Danielle was in an interesting situation because I do, I do still think that Danielle was thinking about that deal, but she was sort of thinking about what situations may happen with that permutation in her mind. And she thought, you know, maybe, is, maybe now is a good time to take her out. Though we'll see. This is going to be pretty big ramifications later on because – Courtney and Danielle have a pretty close relationship. I mean, they were there with the young, younger women together as much as Danielle may have disapproved of her uh, turtle recycling methods. But I feel like they've, they've fostered a really close relationship together, and Courtney is going to be hurt by this betrayal to the point of where in a couple episodes from now when Danielle gets those two votes at the Final Four tiebreaker, Courtney's going to be like fist-pumping and pleading for her to get voted out. Yeah. And you can just see it through the rest of the season. Every time Danielle talks at tribal council, Courtney's like sticking her tongue out. Yeah. Yeah. But that's before really, she dropped really her that one. I, I was going to say remind, that. Remind me who, who preaches the love again. <laughs> well, that's before Courtney drops her guns in the sea of forgiveness. Well, maybe that's, uh, yeah. maybe that's Courtney's love sign is for her to stick her tongue out at Danielle. <laughs> yeah. We didn't consider that. What I love also is that even down to Courtney's like exit, like her last vote of confessional is, is, Talking to R, saying you are so beautiful, brother. It's just strategy. Namaste. <laughs> and uh, and when she walks out, she gives a really weird ass look. When she turns around, like shakes her head, and and it can t- it spills over into the early show when she's having her interview, and they, and they welcome her to the show. She gives a little bow and says good morning. Um, and then she talks about not wanting to live in the game of the past and about her uh, how uh, the her, the secret scene was her with her fire sticks a little bit more. And um, then she throws out the line about, they're like my American Express card. I don't leave home without them. Oh, my God. Was she, was she trying to get a commercial with that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't see really Courtney being a really good spokesperson for American Express. But, hey, you never know. Maybe she could draw a circle or a heart around it in the sand, the American Express. That would be the commercial. That was an idea. I was just, just going to have that joke about, if only thing I could say about the episode 12 is that I just want to draw a heart around it. <laughs> All right, yeah, so okay, let's take our last thoughts on Courtney. Let's give her a little fitting tribute because she is a major, major character in the season, and I feel that she 
adds a lot of comedy to just about everything she is in, whether she is trying to or not. Exile Island is a season of unintentional comedy, uh, specifically within Shane and Courtney. And so to have her, specifically these past couple episodes, you know, between the the questions challenge where she's being called a poser and then Shane threatens to murder her um, to, to the, some of the stuff going on in this episode. I mean, she clearly bugged people out there, but she's one of those characters that, like, she clearly annoyed people on screen, but we... At p- people watching on the couch totally enjoyed it so she's one of those people that like thank god i don't have to interact with her but she was fun to watch i was gonna say that she bugged the shit out of people but we actually saw a scene where she was singing to bruce and she could not get the shit out of him so she actually did not <laughs> bug the shit out of him <laughs> but yeah it's you know i'm glad jay brought up that courtney was so good in challenges because i feel you know no one really takes her seriously as a survivor player and people just laugh at how loopy she was as shane i think says later couldn't have happened to a loopier broad. And she's one of those people that everyone just kind of mocks. And, and admittedly, I do that too. So I, I'm, I'm no more innocent than anybody else. But I'm, I'm glad Jay pointed out what a good challenge performer she was because she was fantastic in some of those challenges. So I just, I'm glad she finally gets credit for that because I actually wouldn't have noticed that until Jay pointed it out. So I give uh, thanks to Mr. Fisher for helping open my worldview of Courtney. It, it, adds some, it adds some worth because... You know, clearly Courtney is not of, of of social means that she is going to win the game of Survivor. If you put Courtney into a hundred seasons of Survivor, I'm pretty sure she wins zero of those seasons. Uh, but it, by the same token, she, along with Shane, she sort of shared buffoonery duties this this season. As far as you know, that goes, which is usually odd because usually they cast men buffoon type characters, and so it's fun to have have this Courtney character that is just so out there. And so loopy. And yet at the same time, she preaches love, gets catty, is good in challenges. Like there's a lot of things like Courtney is uh, complex isn't necessarily the right word, but there's a lot of stuff around Courtney. She wasn't just very like all completely one dimensional. If you look at it, there's a lot of stuff there with Courtney, which I appreciated very much. And, and I really appreciate the fact about her is that, yes, she sucks at the game, like totally. But at least she's like willing to try to play it like to the best of her ability. She's not someone that's just a complete dud and like only provides like entertainment. Like she legitimately is like trying to figure out how mm-hmm. to play the game and, and mm-hmm. that's really refreshing too. And I think it's very indicative that next season we're going to get a very Courtney-like type, or at least they try to, in, in Flicka. And so I think that's sort of a sign from production that they really liked the, the entertainment that Courtney produced and that they want to try to get someone like that again. Oh, Flicka. <laughs> Uh, I, I oh my god! No. An hour, hour passed. I had to mention it again. <laughs> oh man, Mike, you son of a bitch! <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, yeah the Courtney stuff. <laughs> I, I just think from a production point of view that you know they had Shane who is borderline crazy to start with. They have Courtney who's just borderline the exact same thing. They somehow have these two interact on a level where they like are the two main characters of an alliance, and every episode of them just bickering. Like The producers which must have been laughing with glee every episode that exactly what they hoped would happen is what happened. And to the point that, he, like uh, I think we talked about earlier, that a lot of people theorize that Shane and Courtney might have even kind of had the hots for each other a little bit. It's just, just kind of a production, you know, uh, they spun magic out of this this casting that these two people just happened to work together like that. It's one of those rare instances where the casting, I think, worked out exactly like they hoped it would. And with that, I think that is the uh, end of Miss Merritt. Is that how you pronounce her last name? Merritt? Merritt, yeah. All right. All right, so we salute you, Courtney. You are a fantastic character. And we're about to get to another fantastic character because now it's the Shane episode. 
Oh my! And Shane is showing a shades of Rupert here. Actually, when they get back from tribal council, and he he similarly says, "What the fuck?" And he pulls Ceri aside, and she's like, "You should tell me what happened right now." And she, her and ours are able to immediately spin the story that, like, "Oh, we couldn't tell you because you were on the ridge." <laughs> I know. Oh yeah, this just came out. You just weren't here. That's the problem. We we just yeah. learned around tribal council that you know Courtney was gunning for you, and you know we we really had to we we, we couldn't tell you in time. And he's like. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a real good sell. <laughs> yeah, Sari, Sari, a fantastic storyteller. Well, according to Shane's early show appearance, he uh, had a summer home on the ridge, and that was the place he would go and no one could disturb him. <laughs> I love that he's slowly monopolizing different parts of real estate of the island, between like the thinking seat and the Blackberry, and now apparently an entire shack on the, on the ridge of the island. <laughs> so he was the original Troyzan. It was his island. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah. So, Siri pacifies Shane in about 30 seconds with her awesome storytelling. And now we go right to the reward challenge. And this is the famous loved ones reward challenge of Exile Island. Jeff which is, is a little weird here. <laughs> it's really great. And what I, what I love about this is that, you know, they, they set up because this is, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll go not spoil the end of the challenge. But the fact that the loved ones are going to come out and then the winner is going to allocate the different levels of interaction that everyone's going to get with their loved one. So instead of like a traditional loved one challenge where like he comes out, explains the game and then says, want to know what you're playing for? Yeah. And then he starts bringing the loved ones out. So you kind of get the loved ones beforehand. He just, you know, he just says, you know what you're playing for loved one. They're going to be here, but do the challenge. And first, and you know, it's kind of weird to kind of then go to the challenge and then the challenge itself. It's sort of like one of those we're we're repeating elements of old challenges, but not really. It's just like carry a bag and there's a snake and, and then you're going to get a fish at some point. And, yeah, I call, it, I, call it the, I, I call it the jerk reward challenge. Like it's sort of the end of the movie, the jerk, where he's just grabbing everything around him <laughs> on his way out. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. That's what it is. I, lo- like. I, I, love only, I love that only 10% of our audience is old enough to have seen the jerk, but the people who do will get that joke. You know, usually when they do these challenges, these where they repeat elements it's it's that they actually are repeating elements of old challenges and obviously they did go through a gigantic uh wooden sort of uh crawly structure and stuff like that but some of this is yeah i I know in one of the challenges they you know they had to carry a whole bunch of those wooden snakes but like the fish they had to throw the fish and then chop the head off the fish but they didn't have to do that in this challenge it was just here's a big fish carry it and you know here's this thing it was just very I don't want to say half-assed, but it kind of was. <laughs> yeah, here's a bag of Bruce's shit. Carry that. <laughs> no, that doesn't exist, Mario. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got this snake and this fish, and that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, so it is very half-assed, and yeah, the, the fish doesn't make sense, except they had a couple of fish laying around. Yeah, and the yeah, fish is by far it's by far the the worst thing that they can hold on to. It seems like every round somebody drops the fish at some point because it's a slippery it's fish. It's Terry. Terry keeps dropping the fish, but it doesn't matter because Terry wins. Well, now you've spoiled the ending, so nice. Oh, come on! I mean, <laughs> I yeah, Terry yes. wins. It's Terry you know, wins the reward. Yes. We get a precursor to battering rams here, though, because it's Terry and Aris in the finals, and they have that crisscrossing wooden structure like it was in, in, I think it was like the final nine immunity challenge, and Terry and Aris kind of meet in the middle, and they sort of start nudging each other out of the way, and Terry eventually beats him out for it, but it's a nice little precursor for what's to come next episode. (laughs) 
Which then gets very anticlimactic because they're so close, they're so close, they they meet at the intersection, they kind of butt heads a little bit, and they Terry gets through, but then Aris drops his bag or something, and mm-hmm. so he, then Jeff's like, he has to go get it and go all the way back to the start, which is just basically, you've lost the challenge. Yes. It's literally like that in Borneo when the Toggies picked up the second knife in that one challenge. It was like, well, you've just lost. Yep, GG Aris. GG Aris, Terry wins. And uh, so, you know, we can now explain this, where Terry has won, all of the loved ones come out, uh, and we, we could talk about all of them coming up, but basically Terry is going to pick the different levels of interaction that they get to, and two of them get to go on an overnight stay, one of the loved ones gets to go back to camp with them, and then one of them gets a hug, and the other one gets a, a goodbye from 20 feet away and goes to Exile Island. Terry gets to allocate the love. And this so this is basically the loved ones version of the uh, the challenge we saw last season, whenever Judd determined who got what at dinner, right? Yes. Yeah. The, the All Stars and in, in, uh, in Guatemala, the what what is your meal? I'm gonna take the damn steak, man. Damn steak, man. So, so yeah, yeah so Terry. Here, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. There you go. I was gonna say, here come all the loved ones, starting with Terry's wife Trish, who we find out is more competitive than Terry, which is fun. Trish the player, she really knows the game. She really yeah, I, knows I, the game. I think there were, I mean, there were rumors for everyone to be on, on Blood versus Water in the first season, but I'm pretty sure Terry was a big rumored cast member as well. And I don't know if it was his wife or his son, but Trish is one of those loved ones I think would be fun to see play because we'll talk about her later on at the reward, but she has some game to her that's not necessary considering that she's, she was there for one night. <laughs> yeah. Next up, we get Aris's mom, Teresa, who points out that Aris rocks. You rock, baby. No, the rocks are in Bruce's garden, actually. (laughs) Don't go to my rock garden. (laughs) I wonder if there would have been a shower involved in this if she would have taken pictures of him, since she also calls her son baby. (laughs) Hey, my mom called me baby. You shut up. (laughs) Just saying. Just saying. Next up, we have Danielle's mom, Denise. Not as important as the wives, right? Exactly, yeah. Not as secondary, secondary loved one. What, what, what just absolutely blew my mind was, and I don't remember this time, but Danielle's mom comes out, and obviously, you know, accents are such a funny thing because Danielle has got this incredibly thick New England box, Boston accent. And I guess, you know, does this sound stereotypical of me? I just thought that naturally her parents would also have equally thick strong Boston accents, and so Danielle's like, oh my god, moi, it's so good to wicked see ya, and then the mom comes and says, hello Danielle, how are you? It's great to see you. <laughs> Danielle's mom is the, uh, the Henry Higgins to Danielle's Eliza Doolittle. <laughs> she lost reference. that Oh my peg. god. Wow. Bloom on yeah. fire today. <laughs> it, it, and we, and so, it was just funny because she just comes out and says, I love you Danielle, you're the best, and I'm like, what? Where, where, where are you living? Like, it's clearly not in the northeast of the United States. <laughs> All right, next up we have Ceri's husband, HB. Oh, my God. Legendary oh, loved one, I would say. Why, why can't HB come back and play this game? HB's the best. I was watching this episode. I'm like, why did I not give HB an entry on the Funny 115? I'm like, no, how, H- HB how, is awesome. Yeah, how was I so dumb that I missed that? That was a perfect entry, just HB. And it's funny, actually, Mario, because I, I actually went to the Funny 115 in preparation for this podcast because I was actually trying to point out where you put Shane's Blackberry on there, and I was going to yell at you for making it an entry. 
uh-huh. but you didn't. You just had a, a Shane yeah. a Shane entry, and you included it, which yeah. is totally fine. That's totally warranted. But I was basically going to be like, "You son of a bitch! You put this BlackBerry thing, and it wasn't even that funny." Oh, you didn't. Yep. Okay, see, I, good I just got the Jeff Daniels totally redeemed yourself. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> but you're right. The HB is better than Colby's hats. Yeah, I agree. Different list. Thank you. Yeah. Oh yeah. All right. And then uh, next up, we have Shane's son, Boston, who comes out with a shirt wearing Boston or Bust, which I love. <laughs> and Danielle makes a deal with him, right, after seeing that shirt? <laughs> yeah, he's the cool guy, the cool kid. The cool kid with the Boston shirt. <laughs> Danielle, Dan- please, pronunciate. Yeah. <laughs> Danielle's mother is like, ooh, Boston, that is where I am from. <laughs> Boston, where I reside. Yeah, that is a wicked great city. That is where I park my car. <laughs> so then so then Shane, you know, sees his son and of course we we've heard so much about Boston so far. So Boston comes out and Shane of course drops to his knees and yeah, it's a good scene. You could just see Shane is just genuinely energized by this. But then back to Terry. Terry, who are the two people that are going on the overnight visit? Yeah, okay, let's spell this out for people who haven't watched in a while. Two of the loved ones get to go and spend an overnight uh overnight night in a hotel room with their loved one in a villa and they have a little dinner together. And then one loved one gets to go back to camp and experience what their loved one has been going through all this time. One loved one gets a hug, and that's it. And then one loved one gets absolutely nothing, which is Jeff very harsh. Probst, Jeff yeah. Probst's creep moment, by the way, because as he was describing this, he does, he does kind of go out of his way and go, you will be sleeping in separate rooms. There will be privacy. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying to promote like the survivor fantasy, fantasy suites, basically, from The Bachelor. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> Jeff, whoa, geez. C- calm down, buddy. Cal- tone it back. Tone it back. <laughs> yeah so terry gets to allocate the love and of course naturally he picks his own wife to come with him to the villa which makes sense i'm sure anybody would, would no one faults him for that and then he picks shane and boston to go with him for the other villa which is an odd choice but okay that's cool you like shane he wants to get shane to spend time with his kid although admittedly i think sending the kid back to camp with shane would have he would have gotten more out of it that would have been more fun to watch boston like fish and stuff around the camp but okay he picks shane and then uh any comments? Any good joke? I'm sure someone's saving up a good joke about these this stuff. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I was going to say is that I wish Sally was here so that she could get a visit from her sister to talk about their new apartment. <laughs> wow. Like, yeah, like, so my apartment's like about half the size of this house we're in right now, and um, the, the <laughs> kitchen here is very similar to my new apartment. What if what if it was a like a, a dead grandma thing and she lied that the apartment was gone? And then she oh, tries my to God, scandal. Deals? scandal <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah so then the loved one that gets to go back at camp is hb going with sari which is funny because hb is even more of a couch potato than sari i think he's even more frightened of leaves and dirt than she was and then the hug is rs rs gets to hug his mom and then nothing is uh danielle as well we'll talk about this later that terry has reasons why he's chosen danielle and rs to get nothing so those are the allocations of love I guess people were thinking, you know, w- with the thing, I-, I guess maybe people were thinking, just as you said, Mario, that maybe he flip-flops Sari and Shane in the sense that Sari and HB could go on the villa adventure and Shane could bring Boston back to camp. But uh, you could clearly see what what Terry is going for, and he's going to explain it in the next scene. But uh, to tell you the truth, for the most part, I don't have a huge issue with how he allocated this mm-hmm. um, in any way. It's just... It's more of the mansplaining later, but but it's it, the way he allocates this. I mean, I think this is a, a 
an okay rationale for things. He's giving Shane time with his kid, and uh, he's letting HB go rough it with Sari. I think that this is all pretty acceptable. Yeah, and this again, is- I was going to say, sir, and Danielle just kind of screwed him on the last vote by voting out Courtney, yeah. so he's kind of pissed at Danielle. So, yeah, he gave Danielle no love, but there's kind of a reason for that. Like, he kind of owes her after, after she broke his alliance like 24 hours before, so like, you can argue that as well. I'm pretty sure this is the first time and only time so far a minor has been a loved one, right? Yes, I think so. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if there were any sort of like, like, were there like extra legal documents that had to be signed in case? Because like, the, the one fear that I have if they sent Boston back to camp was that they try to work him like they did HB and he ends up like getting, chopping his hand off with a machete or something because he's 13 years old. Oh, there's child labor laws too. You can only work him so long. That's true. <laughs> 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 I feel at that point, if if Boston's with his father, I think that there's you know there's some of that involved as well. But you're right, Mike. They're probably just to get Boston there. There was probably a bit uh, more loopholes. But it seems to me like you know, even though Shane has probably got other loved ones in his life, I'm sure when they were like fill out a loved one and a couple of loved one backups, I'm sure he just put Boston like eight times on the sheet and just said that's it. Put Boston a pack of cigarettes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would well, be yeah. great they were like we couldn't get Boston here here's the pack of camels and Shane's <laughs> like oh, okay <laughs> all joking aside I, I have to say I really want to commend the producers for going the extra work like you said it obviously took a lot more paperwork and there was a lot more logistics getting a minor out there and I'm really glad they did it because it's such a powerful moment and it humanizes Shane so much in that moment so I, I really want to commend the producers for going through all the extra work to get his kid out there because I think this is one of the best moments of the season Mm-hmm. Oh, by far. By far. All right. So, uh, yeah, so Danielle and Terry are just pissed at each other now. He's pissed that she broke the alliance. She's pissed that he gave her no love. And this is going to carry on. This feud is going to go back and forth for the end of the season. And uh, we're going to go back to the camp now. And this is where oh. we get the comp. Sorry. What, what am I missing? I was saying, are we, are we not going to talk about Trisha being gentle, Terry being gentle with her? Oh, we'll get to that, Paul. Oh, we are? Okay, I just want to make sure. They haven't gone to the fantasy suite yet. (laughs) Paul always wants to jump right ahead to the sex. He's one that reads through the the adult novels and just goes right to the sex parts. Paul, that Britney Spears is corrupting you. (laughs) So yes, we'll get to the sex, Paul, if you'll just wait. (laughs) Good, I just want to make sure. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, first thing we have is HB going back to camp. Okay, I I thought you were like, after like, end of reward back at camp. I got you. Yeah, no, the sex sex is coming. Okay, good. I know that's a horrible way to phrase it, but okay. All right, so anyway... So yeah, so HB goes back at camp and we get this great comedy scene of him being even more scared of nature than Sari and she's just giggling and squealing her ass off. That's the you know the the Sari giggle. And she's just she's just laughing at poor HB who has no idea that it was so primitive out here that they have to drink this dirt water, that they have to catch fish, they have to build fires, and it's just it points out how far Sari has come that she can actually make fun of what she used to be like. She even yeah. says it and it's the next morning, but she even says it to herself in the sense that it's it's fun to see him so green, but it also is a benchmark for her to see how far she's come. For the fact that we're watching it on TV and we can see that Suri has, you know, uh, grown so much and, and stuff like that. But just for Suri to be able to realize it with her husband being out there, I think is a cool moment. And my favorite HB moment here is when the fire sparks and he remarks that it's shooting at him. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does HB stand for? Honey Bunny. It does. Okay, just making sure. A lot of people might not know that. HB stands for Honey Bunny. All right, so now we are going to, okay, we can make Paul happy. Now we're going to go to the dirty part. Yay, sex. 
<laughs> yeah, so we, we go to the villa at night. It's Shane and Terry and, and their loved ones. Boston's there and Trish. And first thing we do is when they're sitting around at night eating dinner. And, and this is where I believe Trish starts talking strategy. <laughs> well, first, well, first, Terry, we're, we're getting to a little bit of foreplay here. Terry shows Trish the idol in the bedroom. Uh, and she starts, that's when she's really like, okay, now we need to get to work. And that's when they sit down to dinner. And she's like, you know, I think you two, sh- I think it, you should all be men at the end, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it, it's not that it should be. It, this is, the, beforehand they say, Shane says like, oh, she invested her whole mind in the game. And then it show, cuts her saying, oh, it's going to be all men in the end. It's like really has her like finger on the pulse of the game here. She does, yeah. It's it's an interesting little version of a loved one inserting themselves into the narrative. And then oh. Shane makes the comment about, um, well, well, the idol, he's in your husband's bag right now. And then she quickly jumps on that and shuts that down right away. He hasn't told me. I'm serious. Yeah, we're, we, we forgot to say that we're also still under, Terry is still under the impression that people still don't think he has the idol. So he still has not formally told anyone yet. Yes. Right. As if, yeah. he didn't, if he didn't have the idol, as if that would come up in their short interaction so far, it would be like, they're like, there's this idol, and I don't know where it is. I don't know who has it, because she's so quick to cover it up with it. Yeah. She really did a good job with that. I, I noticed that too, Paul, is that, you know, then the, they talk about the idol, and then Shane's like, well, it's in Terry's bag in your room over there. And she's like, <laughs> he hasn't told me anything about that. And I was like, ooh, thou dost protest too much. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that, was, that a, was that Danielle's mom? She wasn't there. <laughs> Danielle's mom. She uh, recently pa- patched up a run at the Globe. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, so so there's that. I mean, it, I don't know. It, it's funny that you know Shane describes it as that Terry's wife has you know is even more competitive than he is. But it's just the fact that it's just too. You know, Terry is alpha, and it seems like his wife is also alpha, and so they're just like, hey. You make a deal with me. We're gonna go to the end, and it's Shane's just sitting there going like, "Yeah, sure, whatever you say. Come on, Boston, let's go hang out on the uh, on the lawn." And then I like the scenes with him and Boston on the lawn, where it just seems like Shane, you know, is just like, "So on day one, minute one, I was this, and I was like, oh my god. Minute two, I was thinking this, and I was like, how long did he describe this stuff to him out there?" I want to hear how he described Courtney to, to Boston. That's the one I want to part, part I want to hear. Then there was this little bitch. <laughs> how about Bruce? I love how Shane explained the Bruce situation, the Bruce evening to Boston. Well, Daffy Duck was, uh, was out here doing Wang Chung's, and then he couldn't poop anymore. <laughs> God, that's, it's, it's so eerie. It's like I just watched it. <clears throat> All right, and now we get to the part Paul was waiting for. I believe this is the first sex, sexual sex, encounter. Sex, yeah. sex, sex, sex. This is, jeez. <laughs> Paul, so, yeah. got, Paul, missed, Paul missed the Robert Amber sex in All Stars, so he has to make yeah, up for it. Yeah, gotta make up for it. Come on. Yeah, I was gonna say, is this the first time that people actually have sex on Survivor, or was it implied that Rob and Amber actually did? I know we're getting a little tabloid for our audience here, but yeah. A, a, a gentleman doesn't kiss and tell, Mario. Well, okay. Well, Terry and, well, we know Terry and Trish, too. So yeah. anyway, yeah, Terry and Trish retreat to their villa. Uh, he says, be gentle to me, or she says, I'll be good to you, or something like that, and it fades out. And we pretty much know what happened there. And Paul, having been in this, the mean streets of Germany, can explain the rest, how it works. Sex. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, what more do you want? Yes. So anyway, so yeah, so we have 
maybe the first documented case of a couple actually uh, performing coitus on uh, Survivor. So there you go, something historic. Aside from Ceres three two one plan, the episode before, and then this. So we have some history being made in every episode now. All right, so we get back to camp. I don't know how you follow that. Yeah, I was like, we go back to camp, but then this is one of my favorite scenes uh, for a lot of reasons, and it's basically Sari ordering HB around, uh, <laughs> making him uh, go collect wood and boil water, and sk- and you know he's talking about it. But this is, I think this is fantastic, and I think this is really great of HB. And you know, Sari mentions it, and he mentions it. So obviously, they said it in passing because sometimes if my wife is telling me to do something, someone else would be like, "Well, why?" And then she gives a reason. It's a pretty good reason, you know. She clearly had this conversation with HB where it's like, look, you're going home in like a couple of hours. Can you just put some hard work in? Then you're going to be in a hotel and I got to live out here on the island for a couple more days. And it makes so much sense. But it, it's this it's the sense of a loved one coming in and doing something productive other than just coming in and gawking at everyone. And, and I like the fact that HB comes in and he's just like, you know, this is hard work and I don't like doing it, but I'm going to do it. Because it's going to help Suri and it's going to help everything else going on. I just love that attitude. Yeah, no, I agree. And then that's it. That's goodbye to the loved ones. And then uh, this is where everyone's back at camp now, and Terry sits people down to explain why he made the choices he did. This was this was a boo boo. <laughs> yeah, this is Terry's uh, wives are greater than moms theory. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who haven't watched it in a while, Terry sits down and he explains well. I didn't think uh, it was an import- as important for Danielle to see her loved one because she's only 24 and it was only her mom. And R.S., he tells this to R.S., who was like, you know, I'm also about that age. And that was also my mom. So, yeah, this, this is a, a, a um, you know, I, I will defend Terry many times during this podcast. It's hard to defend him on this one. Although, I will say, I don't necessarily disagree with him. It's just more of an inside thought. You don't say that out loud. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the main problems Aris has with Terry is that I think from Aris's perspective, Terry is just demeans Aris and 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 specifically Aris and Danielle because of their age, which there will be a couple cases over the next few episodes that may prove to be that fact. But I think this is definitely an example of like there might be a little bit of ageism on Terry's part here. Yeah, oh, I think there's extreme ageism. There, there, there's a term out there in the world today it's mansplaining and it's it usually talks about you know to explain something to someone and, and it's usually a, a man to a woman but it doesn't necessarily have to be in, in a manner that's condescending or patronizing and that, that's really what this is is and, and this is more it's more ageist from terry here is he just sits down to ours and says look i know what i'm doing because i'm 46 and you're just 24 and, and you're not where i am yet and and i know best and it's like Aris brings up a point, and I and I agree with you, Mario. I agree in a lot of sense. Like, I think that you know Terry is arguing that the connection with his wife, and, and I get that whole thing. But like, Aris basically brings up, look, we all have we all had loved ones. We all love our loved ones, and yeah, I don't have a wife, but my mom is my rock, and I wanted to see my mom. And Terry's like, you're 24, you just don't know yet. And it's like, yeah. look, whether you agree with her or not, you just everyone's up bummed that they didn't get to spend time with their loved ones that they haven't seen in over a month. And they've been on this hellhole of an Island with, you know, Courtney for all of this time. Like you can't just explain that out. And that's the whole thing is, you know, you, we can have an argument or not of is Terry technically correct or not correct in his feelings here. The, the, the one thing you can say is should Terry not say this out loud? The answer is he definitely should not say this out loud. 
and yet he does and it's just this is another part of it. it's like the the punk the the celebrations after winning it's just he has to explain himself because he feels like this is something he needs to do and we don't need it from him yeah sometimes explanations make it worse yeah, he should have just come back and said, "Look, you know, I just picked I picked wives and son. I didn't pick mothers." Yeah. And he didn't have to he, he didn't have to say that to anyone. If someone just came up and asked him, he could have just briefly said that, and if they wanted an argument, he could just say, "Look, it's done. It's over." But, you know, the fact that he's got to sit RS down and sort of say, "Well, you're just 24 and you don't know yet." Like that is that that's not the way to do it. Yeah, I I cannot disagree with you. As much agree, as I agree, agree with ter- yeah. as much as I agree with Terry's logic, I, I disagree with his tactics, and it's over-explaining. It's just a it's so many people do that in the world, and I noticed that something I've noticed as I've gotten older that that people just over-explain. You don't have to explain your inner thought process all the time. Yet some people just feel the need, like like Jimmy. We'll go to Jimmy Tarantino in in uh, Nicaragua. Like, people just have to know how he's feeling. It's like you know, most people don't care how you're feeling. You don't have to always explain it and express it. And it's just something Terry's not good at. Yeah, Terry, Terry makes his comments about why Aris's loved ones are less important than his. This, of course, leading to, leads to Aris saying, well, you know, now I'm all pissed off and he's just feeding my fire. Now I just all I want to do is beat Terry and this is going to go the rest of the season. It's kind of starts right now. The Terry and Aris thing is just going to be out of control. So dun, dun, dun. And speaking of dun, 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 here we go to the immunity challenge. This is we'd like to call this Shane's last stand. This is the uh, immunity challenge where they are up on a pole and they're scooping up water and dumping it down into a tube and trying to trying to raise a flag. It's basically whoever can fill their tube with water the fastest wins immunity. Man, what a challenge to send Shane off on. Because if you want a better representation of Shane being Shane, there's no better thing to look at than this challenge. Where he completely messes things up at first by, for some reason, thinking that the hole he needs to pour it into is on the platform he's standing on. Uh, I at first thought he was just like trying a strategy where he dripped the water so much on the platform that it would drip down into the tube, but Jeff tells him in the middle of the challenge that, no, you're, you're doing it wrong, and he just yells out, that's never good, is it now, Jeff? That's never good! It's just, oh my god, Shane is just... I, I know I know he's acting this way because he doesn't think he's going to go home, but man, this is a great representation of who Shane is. Don't you think the men had an advantage in this challenge as far as like aiming like this like stream of water into a, a small <laughs> target area? I just feel like this is like another one. Like, okay, what can what's Terry good at? He's a man. Let's make him do this. I bet he's he owns like peeing. You know, I don't know so, though because men tend to miss. So no, that's isn't that's true. That Captain America doesn't. Yeah, I mean, his, his wife, Trish probably, you know, disciplines him so much into not peeing on the toilet seat that he's great at this challenge. <laughs> yes. So, yes, as, as Paul alluded with his peeing reference, that Terry wins the challenge yet again, his fifth straight immunity. And then Terry does his little celebratory, I think he does the, the dive on this one, the front flip yeah. into the water. No, he does, he does back a backflip into the water. Oh, the backflip, that's right. He does the backflip, and he screams, and then Shane goes, shut up. And then Shane tries his own take on it by doing this weird, like, half Nelson type of move where he, like, sort of half flips into the water. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, yeah, so Terry's won immunity yet again. Well, and, and then Sari, like, is down on the pole, and I like that. She goes, no diving for me, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So one of the four is going to have to turn on each other, and Shane kind of gives us a little uh, foreshadowing when he says, he loudly announces right to the cameras, one of you, for one of you, the game will end tonight. Dun, 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 dun. It's funny because they actually time the music 
in this in the survivor music to what Shane is saying. It's kind of cute if you watch it. And uh, yeah, so anyway, Shane's ta- about to talk about himself because he's the one that's going home. And this is coming up. This is one of the problems that the first iteration of the Hidden Immunity Idol had, which was Terry comes back to Kip and he says, "Well, I'm good until the final three now because I have the idol." Uh, which will present itself as kind of a problem in the next episode, but uh, it's one of those moments where you can kind of pause it and say, like, and that's why your idol did not work the first time out, CBS, because it led to stuff like this. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no uh, suspense now over where Terry's going home. We know he's in the final three. So, yeah, so we go back, and Shane thinks he's safe. He thinks Danielle's going to go home tonight, and uh, Terry also seems to think Danielle's going home tonight, and he doesn't really care because she's kind of earned it after screwing him over with his alliance. And uh, what happened? I forget how it switches to Shane. Is it Suri? I think it's it's a bit of Aris as well because Aris was you know you, you know when he talked about Shane, you know Shane did say he wanted to take Courtney to the final two, so that's you know. It, it's part of Ceri's steer before because, you know, Aris had no choice in the last vote because the vote was going against him. So when Ceri comes and says, yeah, they're kind of gunning for you and, and Shane wants to take Courtney to the end, uh, obviously that's Ceri's play. But it's kind of carried over here for the fact that if you're Aris, you can't get rid of Terry and, you, you know, Ceri is your ally. So really it's do I get rid of Danielle or do I get rid of Shane? Yeah, yeah. I think from what I remember, I believe actually the motivation behind this one as opposed to Sari on her own last time is a kind of a combined forces of Aris and Danielle because Aris is apparently like according to what he says in confessionals once he found out that Shane wanted to go to the final two with Courtney he was done working with him because he thought like okay he doesn't want to put me in his end game and Danielle is just sort of like Danielle is just ready to commit to this three person alliance of her Aris and Sari so they say okay let next logical person to take out since Terry is immune is Shane it seems like as opposed to Danielle was last episode Sari is is posed to be in the the swing vote this episode where she talks about like okay do I want to go with Aris and Danielle to the final three yeah so tonight it comes down to Shane or Danielle and basically Sari is the swing vote okay that makes sense yeah yeah, and then uh, Shane, of course, thinks he's perfectly safe tonight. He has no inkling that he could be a target. And Suri, we, as we go to head to Tribal Council, Suri predicts, you know what? There's going to be fireworks tonight. So here we go. <laughs> You're three days off, Suri. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <clears throat> All right, so we get to Tribal Council, and there's a, a nice moment at Tribal Council where Shane is kind of pointing out to people that he's kind of a good goat to take to the end. He's like, you know, Terry's the naval hero. RS is the golden boy. They can do all this perfect stuff. Suri, everyone loves Suri. He's like, I might have a little more rust on me, which that I love that quote. It's just kind of a, it actually is a very good speech about, you know, I would be a good person to keep around. And I think that's what he's banking on. That's his logic that that's why he thinks he's not in any danger tonight. And here come the Shane votes as we're out the blind side, the major character of the season. And this is what I was talking about before. We're like, we can't describe the Shane reactions here because it is, he is a genuine like rubber face, and once those votes start rolling in, it, it comes from like the first vote. He like has this weird like palsy like look where half his face goes limp, and the <laughs> second one his his mouth goes wide open. It's just really hard to describe. 
You know what's funny is that a lot of the times you'll you'll catch that uh, Survivor will do insert shots where they'll put someone's reaction shot, but it's not what they were actually reacting to at the time. What's funny is if you watch this, they show Shane with his mouth wide open staring at Sari because he knows he's about to get blindsided. And then they cut to a wide shot where you see Sari. And over in the corner, you can see Shane making that exact face. So it wasn't an insert. He literally was making that face at this moment, which is very odd in Survivor. Normally, those reactions at Tribal Council are inserts. What? Inserts? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're ruining my immersion is what you're doing. <laughs> All right, so uh, so yeah, so Shane gets blindsided. He gives these great WTF faces. It's one I had a lot of fun with it on the Funny One Fifteen. Again, like Mike said, that we can't really describe them. You just have to see them to believe them. But I have an entry on the Funny One Fifteen for Shane, and you can see all his all his all his reaction shots and all their glory. They still make me laugh. I was just cracking up watching them today. In fact, I had to pause the episode and I called my wife over. I'm like, oh yeah, remember Shane getting blindsided? Watch this again, and she was cracking up. She we'd forgotten how funny this was. So uh, then Shane gets blindsided, and then he has one of the best moments of the season where he goes up to get his torch snuffed, and he turns around, and you're expecting him to snap. And uh, who's got the exact speech? I know someone wrote it down. I, I think I wrote it down, but correct me. He goes, he goes oh, my God, I'm going to have a chocolate sundae in, like, one. Then he stops himself, takes, like, three steps forward, <laughs> yeah. and points his finger out, one minute. And then yeah. I love it because the music in this, the music just stops. It's like the underplaying Tribal Council music just pauses for those three seconds yeah. before he puts the torch into place. And it's, 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 the episode's called Bamboozled, and it's really funny because this does kind of mirror Richard Hatch's exit in All-Stars. Uh, they're both about food, but with very different reactions. Yeah. But it's actually, actually ice cream Actually an ice cream chocolate uh, bar. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to have a chocolate ice cream Failed bar in ten. one minute. Yeah. So we got temp points. Paul gets some temp points there. But what's funny to me is that, yeah, like you said, the music stops, and then... Shane turns back to Probes as if nothing just happened, and Probes has the funniest little look on his face. And I always call it the no-sell. This is a pro-wrestling term where someone hits you and you don't react. It's the no-sell. Hulk Hogan was really good at that. And Probes totally no-sells Shane's moment. He just stands there with a straight face staring at him, and it's just, it always makes me laugh, just the timing of that whole little interchange. And, Sh- and Probes is like, Shane, the tribe is broken. Like, you <laughs> so thought there would be like an even bigger reaction, but he just turns and goes, one minute! Yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> it's great. I'm, so, d- yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm done. So yeah, so Probst no-sells his moment, and Shane gets snuffed, and then Shane walks out, and he turns back one more time in disbelief to kind of look at these people like, I can't believe you guys just did that, and that was it. And it's a, it's a fantastic moment. It's Even if you don't like Exile Island, this is, a, this is a fantastic, great, fun moment that everybody should go watch again. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube somewhere. It's one of the best uh, Tribal Council torch snuffs ever, I would say. And, and it so, shows a bit of the peril of the fact of even if you're as socially inept at this game as Terry is, if you are the last remaining person of a minority alliance and you stay in the game through immunity wins and stuff like that, even though people don't necessarily like you and, and if you are horrific socially like Terry is, they have no reason to really like you. Terry does not have any blood on his hands from any of this sort of stuff. And RS is RS essentially loses Shane's final tribal council vote. And he does it because in this blind side here, RS doesn't blame Danielle and he doesn't necessarily blame Sari. Uh, he blames RS for this. It, whereas RS has this justifiable reason of, well, he was going to try to take Courtney. I'm done working with him. The fact that they blindsided Shane does not sit well with Shane, and that's always the danger you run, even though this is a necessary person that has to leave the game. 
Yep. So any uh, final thoughts on Shane? I'm sure we all have something to say about him. <laughs> Boy, I'm just... so glad. I'm so glad they're going to bring him back for another season. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. The upcoming. What is it? What uh, second chances? What are they calling this season? <laughs> well, that's the thing about. So Shane has unfortunately had a very uh, sordid future with CBS after this. I mean, apparently these are again uh, from his mouth. So who knows how many of these are true? But like he was in contention for fans versus favorites. He was he got cut at the last minute for for heroes versus villains for Russell. He was going to be on Blood versus Water, but decided not to. I think he was going to be on like season twenty six as well. And obviously there was the whole story of season thirty one where he was actually in contention and didn't end up going on. But man, I mean. People say it again and again, but what a, just what a what an awesome character and just what a fun story of like we we rarely have seen someone like certifiably lose their mind on the island before and admit to it. Uh, people have gotten cabin fever before, but it's never been this extreme. So to have someone actually go through it, go through detox, and simultaneously try want to kill everyone around him is just. Again, he's one of those people where it's probably not great living with him, but from the couch, he's an amazing person to watch. He's like a cartoon character in the words of Suri. What's funny is I didn't actually like Shane the first time I saw the season. I always thought he was forced. I'm like, this guy's acting for the cameras. He's trying to play a character. And it wasn't until the second and third times I watched it, I realized that he wasn't, that he actually was just starting to lose it. So I really started to appreciate him where I really didn't the first time. <clears throat> and what's funny is with my history with Shane is that, you know, Shane, I, I write the funny 115 and Shane likes the funny 115. He's been a fan of it. He's written, he's read it over the years. And he emailed me once about it. He said, you know, I really like that, that project you did the funny 115. He goes, and I don't, I don't ever endorse survivor projects. That's kind of my thing. I, I, I don't, I don't endorse stuff. I don't put my name on stuff, but I'll give you a testimonial for you if you want. And I thought that was really cool. Cause he, like he said, he doesn't do that for survivor projects. And so he gave me a testimonial and all it says is, Mario did good with the 115. I'm like, well, <laughs> I could have used a little better testimonial, shape, but I appreciated the effort, but everyone always laughs at that testimonial because it sounds like one I made up. And I'm like, no, that's just Shane being as positive as he possibly can because he doesn't really do stuff like that. That was probably the extent of the capabilities of his BlackBerry. It was like that much. <laughs> yeah. It has to stand at, what, 60 characters or something on the BlackBerry? Yeah. Shane, it's a question, and it's a question maybe I can pose to you guys. Would it be would it have been good for him to you know because as Mike pointed out it's not a matter of just uh, season thirty one uh, second chances there were several times that Shane has claimed that he has been close to being cast or just cut from a cast of returning people and and stuff like that would it have been good mentally for Shane to go back out on the island I would I would say yes mentally but I'm not sure I mean there uh, we talk about this all the time on the podcast you always run the risk of, of you know, of famous and infamous people coming back, the reputations are not going to be as fun or stellar as we remember them. And I don't want to sound too much of a pessimist here, but part of me does feel like as entertaining as Shane may be when he's, you know, if he's not detoxing, I do kind of wonder what he would act like, you know, especially now if he's like, you know, 10 plus years older and wiser, you know, what what he would act like. And it'd be a totally different type of thing, which I'm not necessarily... Uh, which I don't know how I'd be pumped for because I really do love Shane. He's just such a diamond in the rough here uh, on Exile Island. I'll admit that I voted for him every time to come back for the second chance this season, but I wasn't surprised he didn't make it just because he was kind of polarizing. And in the end, I'm kind of happy as a Survivor historian that he didn't because, again, my whole thing has been legacies over the years, and I just, I just, there's, I don't think there's any way his second appearance could hold up to the first. 
It's just first one was just such a big deal that I just can't see the second one being anywhere near that. It would probably be a kind of a parody of Shane or it would be very forced. And so, I mean, I like Shane. I'm a big fan of his, but I really, for the purposes of Survivor history and what we're doing and just what I do writing about the show, I'm kind of glad he didn't get voted back a second time because I think he's one of those things that the second time of Shane, I don't think would be nearly as magical. And to echo that a little bit, I think that with some of these other characters from the season that do come back, as they come, they come back with something else to prove or to like expand on. Like we got everything we wanted out of him, like the whole season. Like there's nothing more we could have gotten out of Shane, you know, in in the season of Survivor. So I'll mm-hmm. second that. And one another thing is that you know this whole notion that Survivor players have to be heroes or villains now. That's kind of a modern take where people are good guys or bad guys, and they get presented very one dimensionally. Shane is really a valuable argument against that because yeah i mean he does a lot of villainous stuff during the season but he's got the stuff with his kid which is some of the nicest things you've ever seen the most heartwarming moments you've ever seen on survivor that it's really hard to say he's a villain because he has those moments with boston in there and so it's one of those things i just i just have always rallied against this notion that people have to be heroes or villains because survivor in its best seasons doesn't present people like present people very three-dimensionally and just as as human beings not just as cardboard cutouts so shane is one of those really valuable people that's presented very three-dimensionally with all sorts but with all his good sides as well and i just i'm, I'm just very appreciative that someone like him existed in survivor history because there aren't many like him yeah he's about, he, he's about a villain as much as like amy cusack was a villain yeah shane was great um and and as far as male contestants that were snubbed from uh, Survivor 31. I believe that Shane is the biggest male snub uh, by a long shot. That being said, I do agree. It was, it was one of those uh, situations where you have to vote for the guy if you're in the Survivor Historian's position because Shane is a character. But by the same token... It's going to be a very different Shane performance, and some people, you know, I was I was having a philosophical discussion about this with somebody where they it, talking about someone coming back on Survivor after many years being a completely different person, and uh, they want to see that they want to see the change of that person from their first visit to their second visit out there on the island and see the change, and they'd be like a whole new contestant. To which my argue, counter argument was: so get a whole new contestant. We don't need the same contestant, only more different. If you're going to bring someone back, you want usually this, a lot of the similar elements that they had at the beginning. And I think that with Shane, it'd be a different go-around. And so in a lot of ways, uh, it may be best that Shane was just one and done. But what a one. What a season. <laughs> yeah, the only way you could top Shane a second time is if you made him go on crack for about a month before he went on the season and took him off crack the day before. Then that would probably top original Shane, but that's the only way you could do it. Shane, here's your loved one, your crack dealer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I guess we should plug Shane. Shane has a podcast, right? Doesn't he have a weekly podcast, yeah, a daily podcast? Yeah, or like a, a radio show or something like that. Yeah, so if you guys want more of Shane, if you, I know mean, we, we have a lot of kind of casual people that don't follow all the internet stuff about Survivor. If you want more of Shane, he has this radio show, and unfortunately I don't know the name of it off the top of my head, but you can Google it and you can get a lot of Shane. He does a lot of crazy stuff on there. He's just as outspoken as you remember him. So uh, there's plenty of Shane out there if you want to see more of him. And again, I've always had good experiences with him. He seems like a cool guy in real life. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can echo what Danielle said. He's the cool guy. And I didn't even need to see his tattoo to know that. So Shane, can, Shane, if you can are, can you endorse him, please? <laughs> can you write Shane, a testimonial for it? <laughs> I don't know Shane, if you're Shane is good podcast. Yeah, thank you, Mike. He picked up on what I wanted. All right, Jay, feel free to feel, finish your thoughts, Jay. 
Gee, Merry Christmas, my lord. All that joke for just a little running guy. Um, Shane, if you're listening to this, you were one of the best characters that Survivor has seen. So always carry that with you. And if you aren't listening to this, then who cares? This wasn't for anyone but Shane. So yeah. let's move on. Speaking of carrying something, let's talk about how Sari can't carry her torch. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh my Excellent God. Transition. This, this, this is fantastic. I, I don't know why I enjoyed this scene so much on a rewatch, but I did. Like, this is yeah. a delicious scene. Yeah, we go back to camp after the Shane blindside. You think that would be the only fireworks of the night, but unfortunately in the dark, Sari manages to drop her torch in the sand and Terry trips over it. And oh my God, is this a big issue? Oh, Sari and her piece of equipment. Yeah, he uses the term equipment. <laughs> it's so good. Everything about this is so good. Yeah. You think we're exaggerating, but we're not. This is literally the first five minutes of the next episode of episode 14 where Terry is pissed because Sari dropped her torch and he stepped on it or tripped on it. And he's okay. furious and he just goes off on her. All right. So let's set this up because this is great. First of all, episode 14 is called Call the Wambulance, which we're going to get to later. But great episode title. Uh, and this is this this is great. So they come back from tribal council, and that's the whole thing: is that instead of who voted for me or what or anything like that, basically then Terry goes on this just tirade because Sari was one of the first people in the camp, and she put her torch down, and Terry stepped on it and almost <laughs> tripped. And you know this, it, it reminds me of of something where I, I live I live in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, in Michigan, and not a lot of stuff happens here. It's it, and so we literally have news stories. There was a news story several years ago when I first moved here, and the news story was several people almost got in a car accident. <laughs> and 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 you know, and and that's sort of how I feel in this way with Terry, where he was just like, "You put your piece of equipment down on the beach. I could have been hurt, maybe." <laughs> Who the hell put their equipment in front of me? <laughs> John Sari. <laughs> so then they have this thing, and I love Sari's confessional where he's like, he's upset. He says, there's a place for equipment. And I'm just like, what are you talking about this place? There's like 50 miles of beach. <laughs> like, she said, I dropped the, my torch in the middle. I don't even know the middle of what. <laughs> Oh, boy. And then I think Terry tries to make the assumption that Sri's a little Clay Jordan-like by being like, well, you know, like, if, you, if it happened to one of your kids, you'd be slapping them around. And Sri's like, I don't hit my kids. Yeah. If your kids did that, then you'd be slapping them around. I don't hit my kids, Terry. Like, <laughs> what are you trying to <laughs> You know what's funny is on parts one, two, and three of this podcast, I have gone in with the express intention of defending Terry. And by the end, you have convinced me that I shouldn't defend Terry. <laughs> Mission accomplished. The cleansing is complete. <laughs> it's not. It's not a fact of that he's indefensible because there are things that you can defend about Terry. But it's just Terry. It, he makes it hard for you to defend him because I know you're just like, well, he's he tried. He's not a bad. Like, yeah, he tried, but he didn't try very hard because he's just got that sort of condescending sort of thing with every. It's the I'm better than everyone else. I am Captain America, jet fighter extraordinaire which you know good on him i mean i think we all kind of you know want to be as successful in uh, things as terry is but by the same token my goodness he just cannot relate to people and not only can he not relate to him he then says well i can't like you probably because i'm better than you and he just then goes and says you know sari there is a place for these things Sari's like no there's not no there isn't 
and 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 you know, then he's just like, you know, we we need to. I, I expect better. And Ceri's like, you can't t- you can't talk to me like this. You would just have no right. And Terry's like, well, I do actually because I'm Terry. And it's just it's really tough. It's just a fantastic scene. It just shows how socially inept Terry is at this game. And also, guess who's the first person to once everyone sits down starts lecturing Terry about yelling at people. Oh oh ooh ooh oh wait, Courtney's gone. Is it Aris? Uh. It's it's Aris. <laughs> <laughs> Too bad Dan yes. wasn't there. He could say, you know, I once tripped over a piece of equipment, but I was ten thousand feet up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one of my astronaut buddies put, <laughs> left something on the space station. Ugh. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we get that, and Sari ends the scene by saying, uh, "What does she say? Oh, I'm sorry, King Terry." And. uh and then we get to the reward challenge. We go right into the reward challenge, and we're going to point out this is kind of a pointless episode. This is not an episode we're big fans of. This is kind of the filler episode. But uh, this is the one where they go through the ropes course using the carabiners. Yeah, I like the carabiner thing. The Colby Donaldson Memorial Challenge. And this Rip is one of the. I th- this is the first time I think since Australia that they did a final four reward challenge, and they're going to ultimately have like a non-elimination here. They basically add an extra like three days onto the cycle. And I wonder, speaking from from a production perspective, do we think this is one of the cases where Bruce's medevac screwed everything up in terms of timing, or did they always have this extra round prepared in mind? Yeah, it's tough. This is such an obvious filler episode that I don't... My first thought when I watched it was, well, they wanted to milk the end of Suri. They wanted to they wanted to milk her storyline for one extra episode because they figured she'd be so popular. So they didn't want her eliminated until the next one. But it's possible the Bruce thing did it. Who knows? It, well, it's also the first time since season seven that we have 16 people again. So Yeah. I was going to say the Bruce episode caused a lot of blockage, so you don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, look, looking at looking on the Wikipedia, it does seem like with the Courtney boot, they just played out like the rest of Bruce's survival period plus there, uh, so it was like a okay. five day period. So something tells me if I can make an assumption, it would be that CBS with their production schedule, and since the season was a little wonky anyway with March Madness, CBS asked for a specific number of episodes. So the production schedule said, okay, well we're doing a final two, and we have sixteen people, and they did some weird stuff in the beginning where like the Dan boot was like the day after the Bobby boot for some reason, cause they had to, they wanted to do the combined challenge. Um, but they're like, okay, I guess we have some filler time. Let's throw this episode in. Good investigation temp. You can stay. All right. <laughs> so, so what, how Jeff explains it is, is that they've got carabiners, which uh, you have to be hooked in and you go along a rope line, sort of like the, you know, ripping pieces, Colby Donaldson challenge, but then it will fork off in several directions into, into six uh, places where there's things in each of the end of the of the of the course. There's rocks or there's uh, uh, iguana, live iguanas, and in, in a cage in one of them, and w- <laughs> one of them's got shells, and it's just got different things. And basically, you need to count up all of the things that are there, and then you come back and you put a tile there, and then basically once you've got all the all the numbers, you then have to use those numbers, and they tell you where to put the numbers in the little thing, but you have to open up a combination, three combination locks with the numbers that you've uncovered. And once you do that, you, you win the challenge. And so the whole point here is that you have to be good at counting and remembering and getting all that sort of stuff. But Jeff Probst explains the rules here and says, you know, you go out, you get a number, you come back, you put your tile, you go out. But then basically as everything's going to happen, and I don't think anyone really asked ahead is that these guys have been on little food and, and uh, out there on an Island for 30 some odd days. So, 
their remembering of 24 or 23 or 22 rocks that were in that pile is not going to be so good. So people are going to screw up. Yeah, and so this is the big discrepancy, and I'm sure we'll get into it more, but basically, I guess since there's like two stages to the round, just like Jay said, the first round is kind of getting your number tiles just up and looking at the at the the various items, and the second part is figuring out the combination lock. And what the rule is is that apparently once you're on the, the second phase, getting the combination lock, you can go back and look at multiple stations, and... Terry did not know this was a rule. He thought that you, throughout the challenge you have to go back every time you go to a station, and this will cause some contention. And I will say, as, as much as we, we shit on Terry here, I can kind of see where he's coming from, uh, just because I think he was, just, he was asking for a clarification of rules. Granted, it was in a, a kind of a cocky Terry way, but I don't think he was... The comments that RS makes afterwards, I think, are a little unjustified, and I don't think Terry was trying to mean anything by the fact that he was just trying to ask what the rules were. So anyway, yeah. just, just, to, just to set this up, because I know Mario and, and stuff want to jump into this, but just, just to get through this, they make it through the ropes course uh, pretty well, and it's actually pretty even amongst the four that are left. And Terry has a bit of a lead... And so they, they go out to the six stations, they come back through each station, uh, they go out, they get a, a number, they come back, they place the, their tile on the little grid, then they go out and get one, they do this six times, and then they start working on the locks. And it looks like most of them get their first lock open pretty easily. And then the last two locks seem to be a problem. And basically Terry goes out, he can't get his lock open, so he goes out to his station, he looks at something, he comes back and he starts fiddling with the lock. Aris gets it wrong. He's the second one. He goes out, and he basically then goes to several of the stations and recounts. And Terry, who had come back and is working on his lock, then looks up at Jeff and says, you know, Aris has been gone a long time. He's probably going to multiple stations. And Jeff Probst just says, you're good, Terry. And Terry's like, you mean you could do that? Oh, man. And the thing is, is that I don't even know if Jeff really explained that one way or the other. But a lot of times, if you, you know, if you don't hear it specifically, just do it. And I think yeah. Terry was just following rules at that point. So I agree with you, Mike. I, I don't necessarily see this as like a colossal Terry screw up or, or anything like that. I mean, obviously he wasn't, you know, he did screw up, but I can, it, it, I'm, a, I'm a big rule follower. So I may have done what Terry did to tell you the truth. But Aris then has a great line because obviously Terry's like, oh, you mean you can go to different stations? Oh, man. And then Aris has the call the ambulance. Terry's crying on the course. <laughs> Yeah, that's one of those lines everybody remembers from this season. Yeah, it's um, first of all, I'll say that Terry technically got bumped, beat by a bunch of rules. Then Jay, by your <laughs> logic, um, I, it's also. I mean, also, I think things got fiery before then because even in the first part, I think there's a part where like Terry and there's a, with with everyone kind of running along the same rope and using two carabiners. There's a lot of ways for people to get tangled up, and there's one where like once again Terry and Aris come to a head, and I think Terry actually like shoves Aris. And then in response, Aris like tries to like nudge him, nudge him with his head. So as again, as much as I can defend Terry on the uh, asking for the rules, he kind of a dick move there, just pushing Aris out of the way. Well, it's it's really if you look at it from Terry's point of view, if you watch this challenge, they're all blocking him. Danielle's kind of blocking him. Ceri's kind of blocking him. Aris is kind of blocking him. They're all just basically not letting Terry win. So he's getting frustrated, and it all kind of comes to a head in the scene you mentioned where. RS blatantly blocks Terry. Terry shoves him with his head, and then uh, RS headbutts him back. So, I mean, it's, it's just kind of a culmination of how everybody's working against Terry, and he knows it. I would hate to see Terry play, like, Mario Party or something when <laughs> someone is, like, blatantly making him lose. Yeah. Headbutt. 
Yeah, headbutt. We did that once. There was one of my our good friends, and he was very good at video games, and we all got together and played Mario Party, and we all just basically beforehand said, we're just going to make him lose. <laughs> and so we did. And so we were just, anytime we could take coins from him, we did. And the challenge is people were purposely blocking him or taking coins from him, even though he didn't have the most. And after the game was over and we all were just sitting there laughing about it, he literally just left my house, like, peeled out of my driveway with his car and drove away. So, point of clarification, we can't bring up Mario's fanfic, but we can hear about Jay's Mario Party story. What are you talking about? We can't. We can't bring up Mario's fanfic. He brings it up every single episode, Paul. Just, Where have you been? Oh, yeah. You clarification. Were no, stop. Don't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> where, where have you been, Paul? Oh, yeah, Germany. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Right. Yeah, so anyway, uh, I should point out that this is the challenge where we finally hear that Jeff Probst mentions two battering rams, which they have been teasing us about since about the fourth episode, if I recall. Yeah, so it's finally... Happened. And like you said before, Mario, it sort of came at like a very insignificant moment, the, the shoving moment, uh, not even stuff in the second part of the challenge. But uh, because Aris was able to, quote unquote, cheat and take multiple trips, he wins the reward. It is one of the first and only challenges that Terry loses post-merge. Uh, and the fireworks continue after the challenge. This is one of the only first times that we see people like argue with each other at the mat after a challenge so far in Survivor. So basically, Terry... After the challenge is over, Aris is declared the winner, uh, and Jeff is going around. And then basically, Terry is like, so wait a minute. You said that we had to go out and get a station and come back to the beginning. But in the second part, we didn't have to do that. And, you know, Jeff is sort of nodding and whatever. Like, it's it's not a matter of this whole thing. But basically, Terry is, he really is not saying Aris cheated or I, I call shenanigans. He's just asking. And, you know, because it's Terry asking in a way... Uh, that that is, that is Terry. Like again, it's one of those things where even if he's not necessarily bad intentioned at that moment, his track record is not going to do him any favors. And so Aris is going to jump down his throat here and say, "Look, I can't even win without it being bullcrap." You know, and it's it, it's one of those where you could you could you could understand where Aris is coming from, but by the same token, neither man. I feel like neither of these two men handles this situation very well. Yeah. They really don't. In fact, they really kind of soft sell Aris. There's a moment here where Terry and Aris will refer to it later. This comes in, into play later where apparently there's more to this speech where Aris says, every time you lose, are you going to complain? Are you going to badmouth people? And apparently Aris says something too there about how, what, you, are you going to complain if a woman beats you? Are you a sexist? You don't think women should win? Which this becomes late, a big deal down the road because Aris has to apologize and Terry's pissed about it. But they kind of cut it out here. It's, it's a very sloppy thing to do because... They're soft-selling Aris. They're kind of hiding his, his nastier moments. But Aris, Aris apparently crosses the line a little bit here, and we'll hear about it later. But if you, if you don't pay attention, you won't notice that it was cut out right from here in this moment. But anyway, Aris wins, and what he wins, this is pretty cool. He, he basically gets to take one person, and he takes Suri, and they get to go on a yacht and have you know a, a day on a yacht with, with food and, and all that sort of stuff. But they basically get to drive the yacht through the Panama Canal. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Now, would, would this be considered like the first time Survivor took people into like something from the modern world? I feel like a lot of Survivor rewards are like taking them to like you know, let's even like the Great Wall of China. They're like, okay, we're gonna go to like this these more tribal ancient locations, and this is like, no, we're going to the modern Panama Canal. It's it's very it stands out a lot from any other rewards. I'm trying to think. It could be true. 
in the sense that I mean, well, they they did take Kelly to the fake bar where she got to eat pasta, and uh, that was pretty urban. Because <laughs> yeah. that totally was a thing that existed. Uh, you could be right, though, Mike. I think as far as world wonders and things like that, it's not there. I mean, obviously, the Great Wall of China is a, a wonder of the world, and you know, one of the modern wonders in 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 nature ways is the Maasai Mara, the uh, the Great Migration. So you know, that was cool in Survivor Africa, but. You're right. This, you know, and that was the thing that Sri points out. Like everyone said, the Panama Canal is completely man-made and it's a more modern invention. So you could be onto something there. But either way, it's really cool. But yeah, so in choosing Sri, uh, this is another like weird exile choice that they just decide to spring on the final four that whoever ours doesn't pick gets sent to Exile Island. So Danielle and Terry get sent to exile. On this paper, you would think, oh, well, they still hate each other from Danielle voting out Courtney. They would not get together. But uh, Danielle is starting to think about flipping once again when he, when he saw that Aris picked Sari for the reward. It gets to an interesting point. I think that this is uh, a good part of the story where we're getting a lot from Danielle in the sense of if you're Danielle, what do you do? Because they know that Terry has a hidden immunity idol and he's immune. And if someone else wins the immunity necklace or the, the, the yeah, the immunity necklace, you know, it's going to come down to two people to vote for because two people are going to be safe. Or if Terry just wins immunity again, like Terry's safe. So when you go to the final three now, Terry is going to be there. And so Danielle's like, if I'm going to be there and Terry's going to be there, it's going to be one, uh, it's going to be either Aris or Sari not being there anymore. And so, at that point, even though that Danielle is not necessarily happy with Terry, Terry is an inevitability for that three. So her being on exile with Terry gives her a leg up to at least strategize with someone who is guaranteed to be in the next phase of the game. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I feel like the past two episodes that we've been talking about on this part has been like people purposely not utilizing Terry in their strategy, at least for the, for the majority. This is the first and maybe only example this season where someone will say terry you're in the minority i'm gonna use you to get myself further in the game right and yeah, it, it must it, it's it just must also have, it's also it's also terry and danielle kind of coming full circle with their relationship all the they had an alliance and they didn't then they didn't then they didn't and all of a sudden now they do again kind of right before the end mm-hmm. and it gets tough because with the four people left rs chose Sari to go on the panama canal uh, adventure and obviously you know that should signal to Danielle that Aris and Sari are pretty tight. And so if, if Danielle's doing the math and says, all right, Terry is going to be one of the three, I would like to be one of the three, which means that either Aris or Sari need to not be there. And if they're a tight couple, that is the warning bells have to go off in your mind. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, there's some interesting dynamics coming up here with Terry not being able to be voted out. So, so yeah, yeah, let's just... Yeah, which that just that just angers me too because that, again, that's another problem of having this super idol that takes place in this season and next season is that if you're in a, if you face yourself in a situation where at the final four half your people are automatically immune, that to me is not good production design. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Although we do have a nice little foreshadowing moment, we're going to go back to camp here, and here's Sari thinking, you know what, I've never started a fire here. I should probably practice doing that. And this is, there's a lot of foreshadowing here, and I'm going to point out this is the, Sari is going to win this season 
foreshadowing here. It's, it's uh, yeah. So she she lights a fire. She finally does it all by herself because she's worried there might be a fire fire starting challenge coming up. And she does it, and she gets the big music, the heroic music, and she starts squealing and jumping. And yeah, so this is a uh, this is the big Suri moment coming up to this final challenge here, this final immunity challenge for her. Yeah, if you were a Suri fan, which most everyone was watching this, this was like a good scene to have. You're like, okay, this is going well. Yeah, I mean, that's the foreshadowing. Suri is going to get through this tiebreaker that we know is coming up. <clears throat> All right, so here we go to the big immunity challenge, the final four immunity challenge. This is where you uh, they have to solve three puzzles and dig up, they dig things up. They use ropes to find coordinates and then dig things up. It's a challenge they've used in lots of different seasons. And uh, this is the one where Aris finally wins, right? This is where he finally snaps Terry's immunity streak. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Aris finally wins, and that throws a whole lot of wrenches into Danielle's plans because her plan was Terry was going to win, like always. He was going to give her the immunity, and then they were going to vote out Aris. But now that doesn't happen. Now Terry has to use his necklace on himself. So it's basically going to come down to uh, Suri and Aris voting for Danielle and Terry and Danielle voting for Suri. And everyone knows that we got a tiebreaker coming up here. Yeah, this, is, this, this will happen a couple times later on in Survivor history, but this is the first time that the, it's, the tie is so much of an inevitability. And maybe this is, again, like showing a little more behind the curtain like what we did with the goat stuff earlier, where we're going to see basically Danielle and Suri go into their respective rings and get coached by their you know male coaches about oh this is how you make a fire yep although we i can't gloss over here this is where the big apology scene happens and again a lot of people don't remember this if you haven't watched the season recently where terry pulls rs aside after the challenge and says yeah i know you weren't happy you know when i complained at that reward but then you said some stuff about me being a sexist and that i was mean to women i've never done anything sexist here that was totally uncalled for and you better apologize and rs of course fesses right up and says yeah i know i was just saying that to get under your skin so he apologizes and it's just one of those moments that you can see they kind of whitewash rs a little bit to make him more palatable as a winner because that would have been a particularly nasty scene if they've kept if they would have kept that in of their winner they do, and I, and I think that they do have it in there to, you know, have Aris come out a little better. It is interesting. It, it the Terry Aris rivalry. We we haven't we've glossed over it a little bit. It's not that it's it's been very center stage in these past few episodes, but they do mention it every once in a while. And what's fun is that Terry mentions, like Terry talks about that conversation he had with Aris once they came back from their loved ones visit, where Aris was. Uh, basically saying, you can't tell me that my mom's not important and stuff like that. And Terry says, yeah, I sat down and talked with Aris, and uh, I think he's starting to crack. I think I'm getting under his skin. Like, Terry is talking about how he is goading Aris and making him sort of angry, right? So then Aris is getting angry, and then Terry has this moment where he's back at, or he's with Danielle, and they're, you know, doing stuff with snails, and he says, yeah, Aris is really really taking this rivalry up. I, I don't know what's wrong with him. And it's like, he says that after he's purposely antagonizing him. And then Aris says something to antagonize Terry, and Terry's like, you take that back. So, you know, it's just very interesting that they really did get in under each other. It got very chippy at the end between Aris and Terry. Yeah. The one, the one reason I wanted to bring that up is, like I said, I had a kind of a motive to defend Terry a little bit in this podcast, is that, there, you know, there's a lot of criticisms about over him over the years, to the point that I've even heard people describe him as one of the best survivor villains of all time which is just bs he's not a villain i mean he's kind of antagonistic but would you even jay would you even describe him as a villain no yeah no 
So to call no. him a villain is a little much. But I hear a lot of people just absolutely hate Terry on the internet, like the internet fan base. And the one thing that I hear that comes up a lot, I mean, there's some legitimate reasons not to like Terry. Yeah, he's too competitive. He's kind of a dick. He's not social. He has a bad social game. He doesn't play well with others. But I hear this a lot. People say, oh, he was sexist. Like he was mean to the women. He talked down to the women. But that's not, there's no evidence of that in the season. In yeah. fact, they even defend it right here. This whole scene where Ara says, yeah, that's, that's incorrect. You never do that. So I just want to say that a lot of the criticism about Terry, I've heard that sexist stuff. And it's like there's no evidence that that even happened. In fact, they even rebut that it did happen. So there's reasons to dislike Terry, but that's one I think that is unfair. I would go so far as to say that I think Tom Westman bullying Ian and Survivor Palau is more villainous than what Terry, Terry has been doing the past couple episodes. Yeah. The way Terry acts and the way he talks – if you said that that he did say some sexist things that we didn't necessarily say, I would probably say, yeah, I, I, that story checks out. And he is a bit of a mansplainer. And I bet you that, that he probably has some issues uh, or, or some thoughts on gender that I probably don't agree with and, and probably would consider sexist. That being said, um, he didn't have an overtly sexist edit or anything like that in this in this season other than he's just generally kind of unpleasant and talks down to everybody you know he he yeah. just he just he's condescending in general to everybody whether it's Sari or Aris or anybody so uh to say he's a villain i wouldn't necessarily say he's a villain but uh, you know terry is a, is a unique individual in 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 the annals of survivor because you know, on the one hand, you sort of want to root for him because he was a lone wolf for a long time. He was by himself and he beast moded a whole ton of challenges, which kept him into the game. Not only that, but he found the hidden, the God tier hidden immunity idol, which was keeping him safe here and got him all the way to the final three. He put himself in a chance to win a game. He had no business winning. And that is an interesting story in and of itself. And so for that, Terry is very unique. I think that, you know, the reaction is, is that everyone's like, oh, Terry, he was great. He won all these challenges. But then I think the backlash, the other circle is Terry was not a nice person. And what are we doing talking about Terry? And the, the answer is, is somewhere in between. Yeah. And I, I, my defense of that would always be, I think anybody would be not nice in his position. So I don't necessarily know it's him. But again, that's a weird thing to argue because you have no evidence anybody else would be like that too. I just, I just think it would be tough to judge Terry because he was in a rough spot the whole game. He was in a rough spot the whole game, but he wasn't in a rough spot, you know, when Dan Fuego was still around and stuff like that. And and he still, you could see, he he's not. I mean, he just can't relate to people. It's just tough. Yeah. Well, you look at I mean, you look at his profession as a naval pilot. Like those, they're not considered civilians. It's tough for a, someone like that to relate to civilians just in general. So throw mm-hmm. them on Survivor. It's probably even doubly hard for them to relate. And to highlight, to highlight the point that Mario was making earlier about like Shane being one of these characters that wasn't he doesn't really fit into either role as a hero or villain, which we like to do nowadays, Terry kind of falls in that same category. And I think that speaks to the the characters this season has that it's not easy to you know put them into a category of hero or villain, except for Danielle, who's clearly a top five female villain. So yes, okay, but, so but you're you're right here that, that we get we get the sort of it's sort of anticlimactic in the sense that well Aris is immune so you can't vote for Aris and Terry has the hidden immunity idol and so Terry's probably not going anywhere so then basically there is no suspense because Terry and Danielle Danielle basically realizes like Aris and Sari are tight 
and they're not breaking their bonds. So I have to work with Terry and I have to vote for Sari because she's the only one I can vote for. And so Danielle and Terry are going to vote for Sari and Aris and Sari are going to vote for Danielle. Like there's no secret going into tribal council. Like this is very up in the air. But the two things we're thinking about is, is it going to be a fire making challenge, which they've hinted at? And the other thing is, is that in theory, Terry could give his idol to Danielle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's- and that's and that's one of the things that I mean. Daniel has a, a laundry list of reasons why she votes out Terry at the final three, but this is something that she puts into it as well that she feels like Terry had to. Terry feels like he has to hold on to his idol. That you know he thinks that he might get. I feel like a modern survivor, he'd be very. This could be a thing where he give the idol to Danielle and then get blindsided out of it. But Terry holding on to it basically tells Danielle like, okay, I trust you, but not enough to give you my idol. Yeah. And again, we should defend this in that people will say, well, the gameplay wasn't very good back then. You know, this was they didn't know how to play idols. This was the first season with the idol. So, of course, they nobody really knew how to play with the idol yet. It was just this thing that had just suddenly been introduced to the first season. I mean, yeah, they had one last season, but it wasn't quite the same thing. And do yeah, we know so, the rules? It, do we know the rules in the sense? Because obviously you play the idol after the votes are read. Like, can you pass the idol when just reading the votes? I'm, I'm pretty sure it has to be in your possession when you arrive at Tribal Council. I think that's the rules of this okay. idol specifically. I know. Except it, it, for it, RS. It, RS can go back multiple times and get multiple idols. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good heavens, RS. Like, uh, Were you just calling Daniel's mom there? I was. <laughs> I, I was. I was imagining that Danielle's mother was was commenting on this. But what? What's okay? So you have to have the idol in your possession when you get to tribal council. Yeah, that that's that's a tough play, you know. And it, that's that's I think a, a good philosophical question to have. Do you give Danielle the idol? And that's the whole thing is that they know that Terry has it, and so that's the whole do scouting resources. Like Terry actually gave Danielle the idol, and then you switch the vote on to Terry. And it's tough because when you are in the position of Terry, where you have you've had the hidden immunity idol in your possession for most of the game, then you win all these immunities and you've been by yourself, knowing that if you screw up once, you do have the idol just for that uh, for that one contingency plan. Well, here it is, final four. You've lost immunity, and then you are trying to get this thing going with Danielle, and she says, "Hey, will you give me your hidden immunity idol because they won't suspect it," and he doesn't give it to her. It's tough because she is, you know, on the, on the one hand, you know, you should give it to her and that will guarantee that Sari goes home in the vote. On the other hand, it's, it's that whole, do you really want to do that? Do you want to give Danielle the idol and then figure out that they figured it out and then they vote you out? Yeah, Daniel's basically feeling the same pain that Austin and Sally and Nick felt, where it's like, oh, Terry, you could give me your, give me your idol so that the, we'll get rid of a Kasai member, and Terry just says, no, I want to protect myself. Which you don't necessarily blame him. Survivor's all about lookout for number one, but it is an interesting yeah. sort of uh, theory craft to have where, you know, in the end, and I'm, I know we're going to go on a cliffhanger here, but in the end, things work out for, you know, Terry's side here, but it's like he could have... If he had given the idol to Danielle, I don't think that Dan- uh, that Sari and Aris would have sniffed that out and then switched their vote onto Terry so that Terry would have been in the tiebreaker. Uh, in, in in that case, it would have just uh, just dominoed down to Sari. But, you know, Terry made the call to keep the idol himself. I can't totally blame him on that. Terry just wanted to give himself three more stress-free days of Survivor. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sell. <laughs> There it is. All right, so let's get to the tiebreaker. We have this tiebreaker coming up between Sari and Danielle, the fire-making. 
the last five minutes of this episode are spent them training for this, them being trained by uh, Aris and Terry. And basically what we need is a good Rocky training montage here. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Because that's basically all, we, all it is. Is They're just training for something we all know is coming. And Siri even says, it's fire, it's build fire, it's always fire. So it's one of these things where the players know a little too much about this game at this point. They kind of, You get kind of jaded players by this point because there aren't that many surprises. I was going to say, people, people would get a lot more pissed if a Rocky movie ended on a cliffhanger, <laughs> like Survivor <laughs> does. Yeah. So, yeah, here comes the big Suri redemption arc where Danielle's like, well, you know, Suri's never lit a fire before. I don't think she's going to beat me in. And we see Suri finally lighting a fire. And, and all the storyline is set up for Suri to have this amazing upset. So it's one of these things that I'm actually kind of shocked it didn't happen with the way they presented it. But, uh, yeah, so we get the Tribal Council. What do we get? Have we just have? Uh, I just wrote in my notes here. Shane and Courtney are laughing whenever Danielle's talking. It's clear Danielle's not. They don't have. She doesn't have a lot of fans over on the jury. And uh, this is where we start the tiebreaker. Uh, Suri and Danielle. It's a two-two vote, as everyone expected. Uh, Suri and Danielle have to square off and start lighting a fire. And, uh, and this is where it ends on a very infuriating episode, if I recall at the time, which they haven't done. Had they done to be continued before, other than the, the outcast? No, the first- I mean. Yeah, yeah I no. Mean, I mean, can you imagine? Like, after a season where you have to wait a month for between pre-merge and post-merge, and then to have another episode on top of that where nothing happens, like, I, I just remember being very angry at the time watching this, because it was like, why, why must this season... I, I'm enjoying this season, but why must it keep going another week? Yeah. You and uh, Renee Seiler, former host of the early show, she about threw her remote at the TV when it said to be continued. And it's a tough part to be continued because all they're all they're cutting out of a normal Survivor episode is the person going home. Because if you think about it logically, in the next, it's not like they're going to start the fire making challenge. I mean, I guess maybe you know it's reality TV. Like Jeff would be like, "No, hold on, it'll be fine. Let's uh, no, we're leading into the finale episode." And obviously, in the finale episode, you have the first fifteen minutes of the episode is recapping the entire season. But when you get to your first live bit, I mean. Basically, the fire-making challenge is the first five minutes of the next episode. Why did that have to be... Why did that have to be cliffhanger? Yeah, other than Mike saying maybe they wanted another episode, or or my theory, they just wanted to extend Ceri's uh, influence by one more episode just because they knew she'd be a big fan favorite. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know how many fans would rage quit, though, if they found out Ceri wasn't going to be in the finale. <laughs> well, most of Ceri's fans would be couch potatoes, so they're not going to rage quit anything. <laughs> But I remember this preview being so stupid when they, so when it came back after the to be continued and they said scenes from next episode, I remember watching it and in my mind being like, okay, I don't want to look at this because it's going to like, they've spoiled things before. So it's really dumb because they show, they're like, oh, like next week, like then it goes down to the, like this final three challenge. Well, they show a shot of both Aris <laughs> and Terry at the final three challenge. Then they show a shot of Danielle running. Now, that shot from her is actually from the Final Four Challenge, but there's no shot of Suri put in here. So it's like really mm-hmm. stupid because it's like a non-spoiler that really does spoil it because it's, it was so stupid. So like I thought for sure that Suri was out because of their stupid editing. Yeah, I didn't realize this was the first to be continued until you mentioned that. I remember the outcast, but that one makes sense because that's a two-part episode, they even say. Yeah, so this is just a pointless extra episode. It's and again, this is this I pointed out before. This is the season that we really kind of lost me as a as a day to day hardcore viewer. And it's just because that four week block in the middle and this to be continued and all it was just 
the whole Exile Island thing. I remember there's just a lot of goofy stuff in this season I didn't agree with, and this to be continued was kind of the last straw at, for a live viewer. I'm like, that's just annoying. There's no reason for that to be there. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we'll we just, get into the... Yeah, segue into the immediate action that picks up in the finale. So basically, yeah. they have the fire-making challenge. It's uh, uh, We don't need to talk about it too, too much. It, it seems like, you know, obviously, Sari gets a flame first a couple times, and then she can't ki- she can't keep it going. And then Danielle gets this humongous flame going, and it you can see it actually start to burn the rope. And I think, I, I don't know for sure. Obviously, I may be reading into this and, and sort of going into it. It seemed to me like Sari at that point panicked a little bit. Mm-hmm. And saw that Danielle just with the quick coconut husk and the quick starting stuff got this huge fire that was in a weird way sort of affecting the rope. And I think Sari then switched her strategy from trying to build up a fire to try to get this quick flame going. And mm-hmm. then she lost all the concentration. Then Danielle basically changed tact again and then got a flame, built it up, and 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 basically had a step up on Sari. So Sari was sort of struggling and I think she got a little flustered. But Danielle kept her cool and, and switched the strategy and did the whole thing where she built the fire, put bigger logs on it, and then, you know, burned through the rope and, and wins. No, do you know what it was? Is Sari took um, Aris's advice. Do you remember what his number one advice was for her? Put water on it. He was like, above, he's like, above all, have fun. Yeah, have, <laughs> have fun. He's like, enjoy it. Like, you've made it there. Like, have fun. Okay, Aris, I think she needed, like, a little, like, more than just having fun to win that. What a guy! Uh, but yeah, that, that and it's it's funny because like this is the, we're in the finale now, the final episode where Sari loses the challenge, and right before that, they always have the traditional recap of the entire season for all the people that are just joining. Here's the recap of day one all the way to the end, and the entire recap is how Sari is awesome and how she's going to win basically, and then she gets eliminated like three minutes into the episode. So it's just it's just such a pointless way of storytelling. Yeah, so do we but wanna, I think do we want to. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just—I think that this is—we we should a eulogize Sari here, uh, Rip and Pepper Sari. But like, I think that uh, at the same time, Sari is a character where if they're going to bring people back in later seasons, which we've already had an all-star season, I think at this point they're basically like, "See Sari, she's great. She'll be back." Yeah. Yeah. The thing about Sari for me, at least rewatching this season, is I guess I was. I, I mean, I loved her story. As I said before, I think it's one of the, the her season twelve story is one of like the best survivor stories ever, and just in terms of like a fantastic arc. It surprised me a little bit how she was not as like outwardly uh, strat- strategic in terms of like her fireworks than I remembered her to be. Um, the three two one plan is fantastic, but I feel like that was like the pinnacle of her strategy in season twelve. Otherwise, it was very great social strategy of just always being in those conversations and keeping her head down and working hard. It's really when we get to Micronesia when she really becomes you know now that she's out in the open, she's going to start playing a little more fierce and a little more externally. Whereas here, I feel like she's playing a lot more reserved, which works great for her. But I was just surprised. I was like, all right, she did the three two one thing, but she's not the huge strategic player presence I remember her being. Yeah, well, it just goes back to my theory I've always had that the first time a player plays is the only time that's indicative of who they are. After that, they're basically playing a character that they saw in themselves on TV. Like, they know what people expect from them. The first time she's Sari learning the game, and that's why she's not that outwardly aggressive, because she can't be. She's just Sari learning it as it goes along. So, I mean, I agree with you, but I also think that as much as everyone loves her in Micronesia and later on, I don't think that's necessarily indicative of who she is. I think the first time, that's really the Sari that everyone fell in love with because she's not 
superly aggressive or anything. She's just kind of figuring it out sneakily behind the scenes as it goes along and getting better and better and better. And again, like I said at the start, she's, I mean, she's one of these players that's unanimously beloved. I don't know anybody who doesn't like Sari. And there's people like that love strategy, that love her because of the strategy. I myself, I've always said I, don't, I couldn't care less about strategy. I just love characters. And she's a fantastic character, too. So she checks off all the boxes for what makes a great player and character on Survivor. And I have nothing bad to say about her other than I think, I think later down the road she gets a little too good at what she does in later seasons. I don't want to talk about the seasons until we get there. I think when she's in the season, I don't think it necessarily makes great TV because her strategy is a little too effective at taking out the big dominant people. But in, in, in Exile, I don't know. I have absolutely nothing bad to say about her. She's fantastic. Siri is one of the best. One of my favorites ever. I, I, I have nothing other to add than uh, thank you for everything, Siri. All right, and then uh, so I guess that's it. We've two minutes two minutes into the finale, and Sari's gone, so we've lost our major character. Although you could argue Terry was the major character, but all right. So so we lost Sari. We're down to the final three, and this is the end where Terry says, "Well, you know, it's just the three of us. It's me, Danielle, and Aris. And Danielle and I have a pact that whoever wins the final immunity will take the other one. So we both have a sixty-seven percent chance of making it to the finale. So he's pretty mm-hmm. confident that he's going to be there with Danielle. Yeah, and this, this is where. The ne- yeah, the next right. like seven minutes are like a big pissing contest, basically, right? Because Terry yeah. takes out the idol, and Danielle puts it in a way that it seems like he's almost flaunting the idol in front of ours. And then we get this whole montage of like Terry chops a coconut in half clean, and ours tries to do the same, and Terry tries to catch fish, and ours brings in a big amount of fish. So, like we talked about, we haven't really talked too much about the ours Terry rivalry until last episode, but they are really building it to a fever pitch right now. Yep. Yep, and it's all going to come to a head in a pointless reward challenge we're about to have. Woohoo! Yeah, this is one of my least favorite things that happens in Survivor when they throw a reward challenge into the finale. Although, admittedly, they only have three people in the finale instead of two. So it's basically the Australia finale at this point. They got they got a lot of time to kill. But it's one of these reward challenges, and this is the one where the reward is an advantage for the immunity, which is another thing that I, I've never been able to stand. I, I think they introduced it in Guatemala, right, the advantages? Where you win, it's oh, in, in, the, in the challenge, yeah. But this is the first time they do it in the final immunity challenge, and they'll do this yeah. later in, I think, Philippines and Karamoan. Yeah, it's, I've just never been able to get behind finales that do that. It seems so pointless. But yeah, here's a, an advantage for the, for the final immunity challenge. And this is the peg maze, where they have to climb up a wall using the pegs and get to the top. Yeah, and they, they have correct. to. They, na- yeah. they, navigate, they navigate a peg through a little maze to get two of the pegs, and then they have to do a little combination lock with written clues to get the other two pegs, and then they have to use the pegs to go up the wall and then put the pegs in a thing which will raise a flag. Yeah, and the winner gets this huge advantage, which is like all the stuff you want going into a final immunity. You get a pillow, you get a blanket, a little cot, you get some protein, some chicken, some fruit. So it's basically everything one person needs to get a huge advantage, although admittedly it's not an advantage like Danny got where you know, you start, you get to do two moves ahead or you get to reverse yeah. other people's moves. It's yeah. it's not as big as advantage as you would think when you see the challenge later. I would like to make a caveat on that in that this is not actually that huge of an advantage. Like, this is actually mm-hmm. an advantage I can get behind. Not that I really love there to be the... Because I, I agree with you, Mario. One of the things I absolutely despise when a season of Survivor does it is the... Uh, reward challenge that gives you an advantage especially going into a final immunity challenge that is just damning to me and so i and i forgot about this and so when jeff's like you're gonna get an advantage and the advantage is just you get a you get a protein packed meal and some pillows i was like oh oh okay that okay 
Yeah, so it's ten fine. minutes. It's ten minutes of pointless TV, basically, to fill a finale. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The only the only advantage that would have helped Terry would have been if they if the reward was like super glue that he could put on the bottom of his feet. <laughs> yes. Or things you can throw at the other people when they're trying to balance. <laughs> Here's some horseshoes. Throw it at the other people. All right. So yeah. So they they get to the top, and this is the one where uh, Terry and Aris, their you know their their rivalry is at a big fever pitch here, and and it's very close at the end. Except Terry comes from behind and wins, and he gives the the fist pump. Yes, 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 and it's a big moment. And and I do have to say, you know. I'm not really a fan of of kind of the end of the season. I think it kind of peters out after we get rid of some of the big characters. But thank goodness this Terry versus Aris rivalry is here. It kind of gives the season a little heat. Like there would be almost nothing keeping your interest if that rivalry wasn't there. I would. I've always thought. And I do love that Terry. I think has now realized the error of his ways in his conversation with Aris because right after he just says yes, 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 he goes up to Aris. He says, "You're the ultimate competitor. Like I, yeah. you're great at what yeah. you do." And Aris is not having it whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look at this as like purposeful taunting, and I don't want to come off as this is purposeful taunting, but to me, if Aris had won this challenge, I don't feel like, you know, it, Aris, in, in his victory thing, Terry is going to come up to him and say, you are the ultimate competitor. Like, that's something that you do when you're winning, yeah. and, 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 you, and you've beaten someone. It's not a taunt or a kick them while they're down, but it's, you know, because you've won and because... Uh, you know, you, you're in the position to do so. He can then be gracious, uh, quote unquote, gracious, and go, "Oh, Aris, you did really well." But it's like if Aris had won, there's uh, Terry would probably be pouting and bitching, you know, and and not saying something. Uh, and, and again, this is not a knock uh, one way or the other, but that's the whole thing that I sort of thought is Terry wins, comes from and wins, and it goes, "Oh man, you, it was really an honor to play with you." It, it was, <laughs> yeah. it was great. It's, no, shut up. <laughs> if Aris wins, Terry throws him off the platform. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is Terry. He got the power meal. He got the cot. He got this huge advantage, and it's it, it kind of looks this way like Terry's going to win this season now. Like yeah. that's that's where it's going. The storyline is going. The Terry is going to beast mode his way all the way to the end, and he will probably, despite all of Jay's and other fans' criticisms, he would probably be a very popular winner just because you know Probst and them love those types of winners. So that's where <laughs> it seems more, to be going. What, one quick side note before we move on from this. I love when he comes back from camp and they're like, you know, what did you get? And he's like, not much, not much at all. Like I just got, and he like lists off 10 things and he's like, <laughs> gets really specific with it. Like he's been thinking about what he wants to share with them. Like two slices of multigrain bread, 32 ounces of water, 16 ounce protein drink, uh, some bananas, like this huge like, grocery, like sounds like a grocery list. <laughs> That's all he got, and our, though. And ours yeah. kind of BSs here where he's like, well, actually, I think winning it provides a more of a psychological disadvantage because now <laughs> the pressure's on you more because you won. I'm like, Aris, so I know you're like, you're all about, you know, peace, love, and yogi, but like, stop bullshitting us right now. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't want that cot in that pillow. Ew. That's like, <laughs> that's, that's like Rafe, you know, talking about his uh, ham sandwich that he got in the thing with, this is fine. This is, this is what I would have chosen this out of everything. <laughs> You know, which is something I do. Like I said, something I do. Like if I go to a restaurant, they get my order wrong, and my wife's like, "Tell them to fix it." And I'm like, "No, this is this is. You know what? I probably wanted this anyway." <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got one big showdown coming up now—the big Terry versus the World showdown. And basically, RS has been saying this all season. All it takes is one immunity loss, and we got him. And so this is the one. This is the one time they can get him. But first, we get to go through rites of passage, and I was so excited to see it was they were still doing it on Exile Island. I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot they even had still had it by at this point." 
we, we found yeah. a use for Exile Island to have a stage for rites of passage. There you go. They can burn down the skull. And again, I know a lot of people don't like rites of passage. I'm a huge fan of it just because I think it's necessary at the end to kind of wrap everything up. So I'm just so excited to see it. And then we, we get to see everyone's inner thoughts and all their motivations and how this game changed them. And we especially got to see that Bob Dog was happy just because he got to put the smack down on some fools, which or those, are, those are sage words I'm glad we can all live with. Yeah, and super cut with that badass shot of him chopping that fish's head right off. <laughs> yes. All right, then they burn down the skull. It's a nice moment, and they're very happy because they all appeared to hate Exile Island with a passion. And RS even points out that he, Danielle, and Terry spent the most time at Exile Island, so they all had a grudge against that place. <laughs> and now we get to the final immunity challenge, which Terry, his huge advantage, should help him to balance on floating platforms. All right, so let's let's break this one down because this is <laughs> this this is one that a lot of the internet community, as much as, as some people might not have been a fan of, uh, you know, Terry Alpha Terry's alpha male status, some people have gone on to say that this challenge was inherently unfair to him. Uh, but basically, what it is is that you start. It's sort of like endurance, but sort of like in stages, almost like the the previous uh, Guatemala's endurance was, where you start on a large lily pad, and then you basically every 15 minutes just go to smaller and smaller platforms. And every time you have like a minute to regain your composure, but if you're not standing by the time of that minute passes, you're out. And basically, last person standing wins. Yeah, and a lot of people again, a lot of people have said this was unfair to Terry. Yeah, th this is a challenge where if you if you the more you weigh the worse off you're going to be yeah and and terry and terry you know so this this is a challenge that in particular a small person usually a small female is going to have an advantage in and t here's terry who's this large hulking fighter pilot obviously he's not as big as he once was but he's going against aris who is still a big guy but also a yoga pr instructor and then he's they're going against danielle who's like 78 pounds at this point so this is a this is a tough task for Terry here, and so it's tough. And and you know, it, it, you try to look at it. They try to do things where they're doing puzzles, and there was the one challenge where it was just pour water from a bucket into a tube to raise a flag. And Terry schooled him at that. So it wasn't even that every challenge was running and jumping and climbing trees and doing fighter jet pilot things that Terry knows how to do. It was a wide range of things that at all these challenges that had to be done. But we get to this sort of uh, be light <laughs> challenge, and you know what? Terry's not good at it. Yeah, and this, again, like Mike pointed out, there's a lot of criticism on the internet from people that said, well, Terry would have won that season, but they rigged it for a woman to win at the end. And yeah, this challenge was probably unfair to Terry, but you know, every challenge is unfair to somebody. Like, I've never bought that, that argument that they wanted to rig it so Terry couldn't win, especially because... If you know anything about Jeff Probes, he's not going to rig it so Terry doesn't win here. Like, yeah, that just doesn't true. even hold water at all. Like, you, you honestly think Probes and the producers are thinking, you know, Danielle and Aris would make such a fantastic winner. Let's make sure Terry doesn't win. Like, uh, that doesn't they're even like, make sense at all. They're like, we effed up when we forgot to rig it for Ruth Marie. Like, let's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Dana, we put they, the smashing challenge in. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hey, Ceree's awesome. Oh, she's gone. All right. We have Terry versus Aris. Let's have a final showdown. Terry versus Aris. That Danielle will win. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so anyone who uses that argument that the producers rigged this for a woman, that just doesn't make sense whatsoever. That's not the way, historically, the Survivor producers act. So, 
So we'll just strike that from your head. Yeah, this challenge was probably unfair for Terry, but you know what? There were a lot of challenges along the way that were unfair for Danielle because she was so much smaller than some of the guys. So, you know, that's just the way it works out sometimes. It's, I'm sure this is just the way it worked out, and I'm sure the producers were pissed, I mean, because they had all their eggs in the basket of Terry winning. But he won or he lost, and that's just the way it goes. That happens sometimes. Yeah, so w- Terry is basically struggling like from the beginning, and there's a point where in the one of the transitional periods, Terry barely gets up there. Um, but he's the first one to fall in the water, and then, uh, as as is a custom in a lot of these uh, final three challenges, Aris looks over to Danielle, and Danielle gives him a sort of surreptitious nod, and that gives him the cue to jump off, which we'll later learn might not be an actual promise, but Danielle <laughs> wins the final immunity challenge. All her worrying was for naught because Danielle is now in the final two. Yeah, I'm not sure a nod will hold up in court as a signed document of, uh, of promise. Consent, or promise yeah. Story, yeah, promissory note. <laughs> But yeah, Aris takes her nod as a promissory note that he's going to the final two. He jumps off, and Danielle has just won the challenge in the one scenario, you know, the producers did not want. And Danielle, I was going to say, she immediately finds herself in a bit of a bind. She finds herself in a bit of a bind because, you know, and, and this is this is something that's that that you do like to see as a viewer and as as someone who loves the game. Uh, he, Danielle's really going to think about this and then think about what is the best option for me. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, this yeah. is, again, this, this is like Danielle, like strategy at her height here with like, I mean, this is what the, the final two scenarios produces or final two scenarios produces that you have this one person who has to make this big decision. And as we showed, as Danielle showed from like, you know, flipping on Aris on a dime and flipping on Terry and Courtney on a dime. Like she, if she sees a better deal, she's going to take it. And right now she's saying, yeah, I nodded at Aris, but I don't think that's going to be, that might not be the best deal. And, and granted, looking at all of this on paper, it's a no brainer to take Aris, but she is very carefully weighing because again, this might be editing, but she suggests like, okay, well maybe because we're Kasaya strong, they're not going to like Terry for being a Lamina and then I'll get all the Kasaya votes. Yeah, see, I disagree that on paper it's obvious because, like she said, if if she starts voting out, if she's voted out all these Kasaya Alliance members left and right to get to this point against Dick and Lamina, they may just not want to reward her. So, admittedly, Terry's not the most likable guy in the world, but I don't know if it was an absolute slam dunk she would have beat him. Yeah, well, I think he could have, uh, once he gets into his arguments and stuff, he just is so weak with it. Like, oh, yeah, I just won a couple challenges to get here, and yeah, guys, uh, yeah, th- thanks for coming. I'm like, is that a, that's your sincere argument tip for, for you to stay in the game, Terry? You're only 24. What would you know about getting to the final two? I'm 25 now. <laughs> I, I, two things. One, yeah, Terry doesn't, doesn't do the best job convincing Danielle. I do think that in the Terry scale of things, I actually think he handled this better than I, he could have. I actually thought that not his argument was sound, but just the way he approached Danielle I thought was better. Uh, than than I would have expected coming from him. So I give Terry kudos there. The second point I want to make is Aris delivers the knockout blow. And it is, it isn't very nice, but at the same time, it was something that really jarred me when I watched this scene. And for those of you who watch this scene, uh, when Danielle is weighing what to do, and she goes and her first conversation is really with Terry. And there's a lot of time that she's spending with Terry and she's talking about how she's racked with her decision. Terry gives her his pitch. She goes to Aris and Aris is basically like, I'll be shocked if you don't pick me, you know, which is very, it's a cavalier thing to say. And I think Aris could handle it better. But then Aris delivers a line that just floored me where Aris is like, well, you do know if you don't take me, you lose me in Surrey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And And that's a simple thing. Yeah, go ahead. 
yeah, that that's that's the knockout blow. And then he basically says, look, there's Sally and there's Austin over there on the on the jury. They're Lamina, and you lose me and Suri. You probably lost if you don't take me. And and the thing is, is that Terry had agency in this game in the sense that, uh, you know, he then became this sort of a bloodless character because even though nobody really likes him that much and 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 all of those sort of things, he wasn't one of these Kasaya people that betrayed other Kasayas. He, you know, he, he, he did what he had to do to stay in the game, which was win all of the challenges. You can't really blame him at that point. And so it looks a little, it looks a little dicey there. And, and the, but the thing is, is that what Terry has a disadvantage on, like it's, it's, it's a huge advantage to be the only person left on your minority Alliance, because you can make things happen. And if you can get to the end of the game, you've got a much better story to the jury than people who were in the majority Alliance that had to get picked off and betrayals had to be made and pe- hurt feelings are there. Terry doesn't have any hurt feelings at the other time. Terry doesn't have any leverage either. And that's the whole thing is that Aris delivers a knockout blow to Daniel. He says, you lose me and Sari. And Terry cannot match it. Yeah. Now, I was going to say, it's, it's uh, kind of ironic that Terry is the one who's all you know, reassuring and nice, and Aris is the one that bullies her. But bullying works better if you can get away with it, especially right then. And like I said, it, 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 you kind of flip their personalities because Terry's generally the more, more bullying one. But they flip right there, and we find that bullying works better, especially as if, like Jay said, if you have the ammunition to back it up. And he does, and I'm sure that's what made all the difference right there. Yeah, well, Aris is paranoid. I mean, he talks about it here where when Danielle and Terry go into the jungle and Danielle admits to Terry, like, hey, our deal might not be so solid. And so I think he's going into much more of a panic mode than he has at any other point in this game. So I think that's allowed him to be a little more aggressive. Plus, he probably thinks that Danielle is a little impressionable, I would say. I think she very much is influenced by, like, who the strongest opinion is and who the, the most rational person is. So to have Aris come in and be like, okay, I'm going to strong arm you into picking me, I think he, he did the right thing. Yeah, he pulled a Tom Westman right there, and you know what? More power to him. If it works, I'm glad it was a good move. Good job, Aris. Mm-hmm. He had he had to do it because, yeah. as as Mike said, I don't think it was 100 percent set that yeah. he was going to it, going to take Aris to the final two, and so Aris saw it slipping away, and he he did the play. And the thing is, is that it's very jarring and it was very abrupt. But at the same time, once he said it. And even though, even knowing the outcome, even knowing all these years later uh, that Aris wins this season, you know, so he has to be taken to the final two. It was just he just looks at her and says, "You lose me and Sari," and I just said, "Oh, that's so good." Not, not good in the sense that I'm just sitting here going, "Wow, what a guy!" But he he played that card, and and that's that's tough. And so you saw that you saw later on that Danielle's writing everyone's name down. She's trying to figure out jury votes and all that sort of stuff. And I think that. Every way you look at it, Aris is basically like, you lose two votes right off the bat if you don't take me. And mm-hmm. there's Austin, there's Lamina people on the jury. Like, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, they could have ended up with a, it would have been basically a Marquesas where it's Nalia against Vesepia, where you have the one person outside the alliance against the one who voted out all the people in her alliance. And it's a, it's a tough one if you end up in that situation. You better be a sweet talker, which Nalia isn't, and I'm not sure if Danielle would have been either. You needed uh, Daniel's mother to jump in there for really articulate, sweet talking. <laughs> she could deliver like a Shakespearean monologue or something. <laughs> a sonnet. All right, so yeah, that and that is the end of Terry. A, a, uh, I would, I'm not going to say he's a beloved character. He's more a hated character than anything, but he's one that you can't really talk about Exile Island without discussing because he was, you could argue he was the dominant character in Exile Island. It's an interesting thing, too, because we, we got very close to really seeing the first ever time that someone made it to the end and was about to win 
basically just relying on challenge victories. And we'll see a little bit with people like Bob and Fabio and Mike Holloway in Worlds Apart. Um, and it's just interesting that, like, we, for all we talk about, about like challenge dominators like Colby and Tom as mentioned before. We never really had someone who was who got to the end purely by the merit of challenges. Uh, so to have someone do that and almost win is like a really interesting type to see. Yeah, and against good competitors too. I mean, those were not weak people he was against. Exxon had a lot of great competitors in it, and the fact that Terry dominated all of them should show you something. I mean, there's the phrase "deets mode." I mean, it's the whole take on beast mode. It, it's very active. And even though Terry is not one of my favorite characters on uh, out there, he did something that is super impressive. And I don't think it's it, like you, you said, Mario, just a, a few a few seconds ago, that he's the dominant player of Exile Island. I would go one further and just basically say you cannot talk about the history of Survivor, the franchise itself, and the notable things that happened in it without mentioning Terry's run in Exile Island. I think that this is. This is a, a cor- not a cornerstone, but this is one of the main uh, weaves in the fabric that is Survivor, and and I, I think that it must be mentioned. Yeah. You got anything snotty to say about Terry, Paul? Rest in peace, Terry Dietz. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in peace. You know, I, I came into this podcast wanting to defend Terry. I figure. I'm not necessarily sure if defend is the right word. I just want to make sure people appreciate him as well. I mean, he gets a lot of crap. Everyone seems to hate Terry, which I don't know is entirely warranted. So I'm just, I just want to present a little different image of that people maybe at least, at least appreciate what he brought to the show. Whereas maybe he wasn't as big a hero as probes and the narrative wanted you to think. I th- just hope people kind of appreciate what he brought to the season. I don't, and, it wouldn't I mean, have been nearly as interesting without him. And I'll, I'll add that he's like a character that it's like fun to hate on him. Like he's not this horrible, horrible person. He's not like an annoying, annoying person. Like he's a very good character to have and he's very fun to hate on. So I could definitely appreciate his contributions to the season. All right. And now we get to the, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so I said, let's segue to day 39 and how the hell did this happen? <laughs> I know. And what now a we day. Just- we just got all these fascinating, interesting characters, and now we're kind of left with Aris and Daniel, which admittedly are not bad characters, but in this season, it's kind of it was always kind of a letdown, I remember, for people who watched it. Like, all these dominant characters, and you kind of end up with the two borderline entertaining ones left at the end, which admittedly is not their fault. They were good players. They deserve to be there, but it is kind of a letdown when you watch the season that these are the two left at the end. Well, I think these two, like, they play well with the other characters. Like, Aris being like the straight man with all these kind of crazy characters and like Danielle giving her like disgusted face to people is like what makes them great. So it's like you pull out these other four characters away from them and they're kind of like a little lackluster here at the end. Yeah. It's like Abbott and Costello. You take Costello out and you have Abbott and Abbott. It's not quite as fun when you have the two straight men left. Mm-hmm. So that's why you have to add some physical comedy into it, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, so, that, so then you just have a real uneventful day 39, right? Well, wait, first I got to say, you know, they get all this food delivered to them. And when they go to pick it up, it's with this giant stick man. Yeah. What it's was so that? Cool. that? I was wondering, was that at every tree mail or was that just there on day 39? Was the tree mail always like that? Well, I think that was Courtney's luxury item, right? It was a, an effigy of Burning Man. <laughs> a giant, scary stick man, yeah. So the, the Blair Witch Project tie-in, once again, we get the big stick figures. But yeah, <laughs> if you watch this episode, watch it again when they go to get their food on day 39, just uh, Courtney or just Danielle and Aris. And it's this really gnarly, cool-looking, 10-foot-tall stick man. It's really cool holding the food. It's really neat. And then we get to the slapstick comedy, which Jay has been waiting for. 
Oh man, I mean, it's just it's it's almost surreal when you think about it. In the sense of has has this happened? I mean, obviously it hasn't it, to this degree, but it it's fantastic. They they get a bunch of food. They get eggs and pancake mix and all this sort of stuff. So they have a ginormous feast and they eat a whole bunch of food. It's the whole end of the end of the game feast and uh, breakfast and that's all very nice. So then they have uh, champ- champagne, mimosa type stuff. So they basically take the bottle and the glasses and they decide to have a walk along the beach with the champagne and on they the go on the yeah, the, well, it's on the beach, and then they get to the rocky portion over there by the beach. So they start climbing over the rocks to get to some point, and Aris slips and falls, and he like slips and he falls. Sort of his feet go out in front of him, and he sort of falls on his ass. But he puts his he puts his hands down, and he sort of falls on his ass, and then toward his back. But he was holding the champagne glass in the one hand, and so when he came down and, and put his hands down, the glass comes from his hand and it shatters on the rocks, and basically. He slices his fing- his his one of his pinky and his palm on on the shards of glass, and then a shard of glass embeds in his back. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, as someone, I just recently had a glass cut. Those things are so nasty; they cut you so deep, and you just bleed like a stuck pig. You bleed so much. So he got glass cuts in three different places, and they all looked really deep. I can't imagine how much he was bleeding at that point. That must have been nasty. He was bleeding a lot, and then you also have to remember that he has survived 39 days on very little food, so he's he's already a little malnourished, and he's just had alcohol. So <laughs> it, it's not a good situation for him at this moment, and you could see on the way back, he's he's feeling faint, he's losing blood, he's he's weak, and uh, he basically is collapsed in the in the tent, and, and medical has to come, and we get our awesome Australian guys. All right, Oris, uh, what have you done here, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna have to uh, take out your hand off, but uh, oh, yeah. You made, made, yeah, good on you, made it to the end. You know, and they're like, have... "What's going on?" He's like, "Oris, Oris, um, uh, can you poop, mate?" <laughs> hey, that's been going around recently. <laughs> yeah, can you squeeze one out for me? <laughs> but I do have Last to say, you know, a lot of people. Uh, this bloke, bloke named Bruce, and uh, he couldn't poop. You remember him? Remember <laughs> Bruce? Do, do you want to be like Bruce? You know, a lot of people told me I should have included that scene on the Funny 115 about RS falling. And I'm like, no, that's mean. I'm not going to do that. But I was watching it this time, and it actually is kind of funny the way they edit, they edit it. It's the typical – there's this one part of the music they always play in Survivor on the final day when they're reflecting on their times. It goes, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's that one. And they actually play that music, and then it like, it's like a record scratch. It stops the minute that RS falls. It's kind of funny the way that they present it. And I never wrote it up, but if you watch for it, it's actually a silly little music moment. All right, so I'll throw out some what-ifs here. Uh, was the final three in Survivor Cook Islands and Onward caused by... A, Suri and Terry being eliminated before the final two. B, Aris possibly being medevaced at the final two. C, none of the above. I have heard a lot of people over the years say that Aris being hurt here was what led to the final three because they were worried that if someone got hurt on the final day, they wouldn't be able to have a final episode. Now, I don't agree with that, but I'm shocked how many people I hear say that. I would say more A than B. You think it's more about Suri and Terry than the injury? Yeah. Right. No, and I, I, and I, think, yeah. I think that Suri and Terry were the final straw and not necessarily the cause. Because 
again, it, it, it's the way Survivor goes, and it, it's 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 always a tough thing to explain to somebody. But if you have someone who's really good at the game and they're there near the end, you can't have them with you in the final vote or you will get obliterated. So as a result, a lot of really strong competitors go at three. Yeah. Uh, Lex in Australia and Kathy in Marquesas. And Lex Roxas- in Australia? Or not, Absolutely. sorry, Lex in Africa, my bad. Yeah. Lex in Africa and Kathy and Marquesas and... Uh, Rob C. Rob C in uh, uh, Amazon, Johnny Fairplay Jan in Pearl Island. in Thailand. Yeah, well, Jan. Let's, Jan let's, let's, not skip, let's, let's skip the original Rudy. Rudy was the one that started all that. Rudy in Borneo. So you have all of these really strong people who go with it out at three. And then you had Suri at four and Terry at three this time. And I think they basically looked at that and said... You know, if we just extend it to a final three, maybe these blokes would be there, not knowing that were they, they were. Were just... the doctors running production at that point? <laughs> well, it is Mark Burnett, right? So, I mean, That's you know, true. <laughs> get a little Australian in there. But uh, they basically were like, well, then we will just have, a, have three people at the end. Then that will solve the problem, not thinking that they'll just get voted out at four. Yeah, but, this... you know... It, it was totally a thing. But I mean, this is the thing. When I was writing, again, my, my all-star stories, which I'm glad you brought up because I wasn't going to bring them up. Thank you, Paul. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but even when I was writing those stories after Marquesas, I wrote those after season four. And that was already a thing back then. I just had to work that into the story. Like, the big character always goes at final three. That's just Survivor. Even by the fourth season, people knew that. So I'm sure by season 12, the producers were just kind of fed up by it. I'm like, you know, this happens every goddamn season. Could we at least not have Surrogate vote out right before the final vote next time? So yeah, um, so I think I think that absolutely A was the answer. So Jay, do you have like a Mario Party story that kind of like would also like <laughs> parallel the final three, final two scenario? No, because I'm a good human being, Paul. Aww. I, I will say that I think, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get to this in Cook Islands, I think that the final three was something they tried. I would say it's personally something they tried because they saw the 20-person cast and they thought it was something just to try out because as we talked about multiple times, this is the time they were experimenting. And what it, once they lucked out with the Yule and Ozzy final, then they decided to keep using it. Um, yeah, sure. So I, I, I'm, I personally think it's a little more C than A or B, but I can definitely see arguments for, for something like A. I don't and think again, it's definitely I, A. Yeah, I, I am mean, shocked how many people say it's B. Oh, because of the arse injury? Yeah, I, I don't think so at all. If anything, what they would have done if if Aris was seriously hurt was they probably would have just delayed the finals. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, easy peasy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I don't think, yeah, if someone gets medevac the last day, they're going to do whatever they can to make sure there's still a final episode. That does not, it will not dictate that the finale will be canceled. So, yeah, there's no merit to that B whatsoever. If someone gets hurt, they'll fudge it any way they have to. Even if they have to give Danielle a million dollars, too, to shut her up, they'll still do it because they'll make, they'll make more than that just in their ad revenue. Yeah. For now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. But, you know, we, we're getting into our final tribal council here, and we do get the. Uh, you know, with with all of the uh, RS Medivac stuff, we do get the fact that you know Danielle does help him do the thing, and then she basically says, "I'm coming up with a good speech for trying to final trouble council. I'm in sales, so maybe I'll get a good winner." Oh, lol, Danielle, like you're <laughs> going to convince people. Yeah, I'll say I'll say overall, and I'm sure we'll talk about highlights of this final tribal council right now. But I would say overall, Ars and Danielle kind of coming from the same place here, and it's a, it's a little it's as milk toast as you can imagine. Speeches from Ars and Danielle, uh, where do you think they'd be coming from? But man, a lot to talk about honesty and integrity at this final tribal council. Although, in the words of Bruce, you battled like true samurai samurai warriors. So there's that. 
now I kind of want the Australian doctor to have had a question at the final travel council <laughs> and Danielle's mother. Hey, Mark Burnett. Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Mark Burnett's question is, why aren't you Suri and Terry? <laughs> <laughs> All right, and the I doctor's question out- is, the doctor's question is, all right, Danielle, uh, what's your medical emergency? <laughs> I'm, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. Still, are, you, I'm are, you sure, are you sure, Mike? <laughs> I'm still having mine. <laughs> All uh, right. You see, you go, ask your question. Good question. Good on you. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're right, though. This this final travel council is pretty standard. There's nothing super uh, exciting. I do want to get into a couple of points, but you're right, Mike. It's it's. I don't think that either person does a great job, nor do they do a bad job. I think they do a pretty standard final travel council. I wouldn't give humongous positive or negative points to either person. Well, yeah, it just basically comes down to two Kasayas, and one of them was annoying and one wasn't. So really, there's nothing that makes any difference in the Tribal Council. You knew what was going to happen going into it. Yes. Uh, do we want to talk about – I, I, I want to bring a couple things up. Does anyone have anything they want to bring up from any of the opening statements or questions? Or anything? Yeah, I just I mean, want to point out – guys, go I was, was going to say, I just want to point out that I had a lot of fun on the Funny 115 with Shane throughout the final Tribal Council. Yes. Yes. The, what, when Danielle points out that she wants to become a motivational speaker and talk to kids and he's got this great what the fuck face it's like oh my uh, god yikes like not a good idea Yeah. and uh, then the, the, the best one is even later the whole Courtney and Shane interchange where every time Courtney comes down from the back row she puts her hand on Shane's shoulder and he starts rolling her eyes because he's pissed and then the very last time when she goes up to vote she walks up and she reaches over to put her hand on his shoulder and he leans so far over he almost goes out of the frame. Yet just to piss him off, she reaches all the way over and still touches him just because she's Courtney. And it's just fun, just perfect of the little dynamic between the two of them. And it's I had a lot of fun with them on the Funny 115. It's It makes it more entertaining than the rest of the episode is. Yeah, I would say so there are like, I'd say there are probably like three, maybe four like fun speeches. I'll, I'll mention the first one that I think is interesting at least. And that's this is Terry's. And again, we defended Terry a little bit about five minutes ago, and now I think I'm going to shit on him all over again because, man, this jury statement is all about, Danielle, why you should have taken me. I'm the best. You should have did. I made it 38 days. Or Danielle, basically Danielle says in her statement, like, okay, well, I, I tried to be as honest as I could, but being, deceived, being deceiving is part of the game. It's part of playing Survivor. And he says, Danielle, I disagree. You're totally off base because look, look at me. I made it 38 days without deceiving anybody. And by the way, somewhere down the line, everyone's going to tell you that you should have taken me at the end. <laughs> should have taken the Navy guy. Yeah, it's a it's <laughs> a and it shows how off base he is because he's like, I didn't have to deceive anyone. It's like because you had no allies ever, Terry. Like your game is completely different from everything else. It, you know, it's it's like someone. You know, it's it's like literally someone pinch running for someone who's on third base and saying, "Look, I hit a triple." Like you, you can't. It's just a dumb sort of thing there. So, so I, I'm totally with you, Mike. Horror, horrific final speech by Terry. And then his question itself, it doesn't even have any, he goes, oh, by the way, I like challenges. Rate yourself on how you've done the challenges from 1 to 10. Well, I beat you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the whole thing, you should have taken the Navy guy. That's a, that's a, a comment that I hear gets uh, referenced a lot on Survivor message boards. And it's, it's interesting how many people take offense to that logic. The, oh, you should have taken the Navy guy. People are like, that sucks. Like, why would you say that? It's, it, it really, I don't want to get in too much into this. I'm not military or anything, but it really comes down to this. 
belief if military people are inherently better than non-military people. It's like clearly Terry kind of believes that. It's just it's an interesting way that he phrased that and the, and the way that people who aren't military react to that statement on the message boards I've always found interesting. I see no I one wants to touch that. No one wants I'm to touch that. not going to touch that one. <laughs> I, I was going to move on completely. I believe it's it's Sally's question. Uh, Sally asks... Um, Did you see my no, apartment? Aust- no, no, no. Yeah. It, I think it was... Actually, I think it might have been Austin's. It was one of those... Uh, Lamina's. Bubbly, of, Lamina, really kind of fun tribe questions. Yeah, fun tribe questions. One of them asks, what were some big moves that got oh, you yeah. to where you are? Yeah. yeah, it's Austin's question. And Danielle gives the answer of getting rid of Bob Dog instead of Bruce. Uh, and she explains that move. And I think that that was actually an especially brilliant answer by Di- Danielle. And I think that wins Bruce's vote. So I, I very often uh, subscribe to the fact that votes are not often won at tribal council. For the most part, it's just a big uh, hot air kerfuffle. And then they vote for who they want to that's already been decided before the evening. But I actually think that Bruce was probably leaning Danielle's way for Brucey reasons. I don't know. But the fact that she mentioned Bruce and included Bruce in an answer, especially, you know, I kept Bruce around, I think does solidify a vote for Danielle. And I think that that was a good use of of, of that sort of thing. Whereas, you know, mentioning people that, you know, like Aris saying, you know, well, Sari was great. It's like Sari's going to vote for you, Aris. Concentrate on someone else. So, uh, you know, it's a good move by Danielle there. I just wanted to point that out. Also, Ara says the, his move that he is most proud of was telling Melinda she was going home, <laughs> which we are, which we already talked about on this yeah, podcast. It's like and not a good thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, someone should it, mention Shane's Shane speech. Well, do we want to do Courtney first? I think Courtney came first. Well, so Courtney, I'll I'll just read a few excerpts from her speech, and if you guys want to fill in totally do um but she gets up and she mimes guns and she says i forgot my guns they've been dropped in the sea of forgiveness uh which there's definitely like a, there's definitely like a rupert joke in there somewhere about how he found the guns in the ocean um in the ocean. i came in here wanting to play with integrity and be a shining being and i struggled with that she talks about how like both of you stabbed me in the back and it took me a week to pull the blade out especially you danielle um <laughs> And she, she just, then she starts to pontificate and talks about, like, chips on your shoulder, re- regret and anger, weigh you down. And I love how she, like, actually, like, acts out being weighed down. She goes, I'm a bird, so I've got to fly. Uh, I've learned a lot That's about so myself. What, you, what, did, what did you learn about yourselves that you're going to leave with and walk around with every single day? What, oh, I, love, what I love about the responses to this is not only is that speech so so quintessentially Courtney, but then Aris goes first on this, and Aris does say he says, "Man, I had my 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 ego smashed a couple times in this game," and he starts to you know really not really pontificate, but he just says, "Look, I I had my ego smashed, and I learned a couple things." Courtney then listens to him and says, "Yeah, and that's going to help you out in Johnson, your life." Johnson, yeah. <laughs> Courtney basically basically has a consultation with each of the finalists yes. at this point. It becomes a dialogue. Uh, and then she That's awesome, brother. Yeah, she, I just want to point out that Shane has a great speech in there, too. Just, uh, what does he say? I'm looking at my notes here. Where It's a great quote. He says, uh, 
he blasts RS because RS talks about he has the best of intentions. And Shane says, you know, we can't be judged on our intentions. If I was judged on my intentions, I'd be president of the planet. And so he talks about how you have to be judged on your actions, not your intentions, which is one of the better jury speeches I've ever heard on Survivor. I think that's actually pretty, a very profound thing to come out of Shane's mouth. There are so many nuggets here in, in Shane's speech, he, specifically about ours, when he says, you know, ours with an agreement on what was most important to us, my son and your yoga, which at this point is sort of laughable and contradictory, uh, which I love Shane making fun of yoga. And then after the whole thing of President of the Planet, he's like, you are broke, you are homeless, and you are mooching off your father, which is like a total Shane thing to do of just completely disparaging the lifestyle of everyone well, else around him. It's funny that that this chain kind of like kicks ours down for like mooching off his parents, and then Courtney gets the jab in at Danielle about like when Danielle gives her her speech, and then Courtney has to jump in and say like, and you're gonna be able to do that on your own, like not not your dad, not your boyfriend, like tries to like <laughs> make some jabs at her that she relies too much on those people. And then he, Shane ends his, his speech. You're right. He has this friend. Then he ends the speech with pick a number between one and a million. And ours picks four. Oh, my God. It's <laughs> Ethan all over again. <laughs> and Danielle, what, picks ten? She picks ten. I'm like, oh, my God, you didn't pick five. But, you know, okay, fine. And I think Shane's number, it's, it's written on the ballot, and it might be a little too small on my screen, but I think it was like 444,444. Oh, was it? I thought it was nine 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 nine, but again, I have a small TV too, so I can't tell. It it was in the hundreds of thousands, whatever that that answer yeah. was, and I it's just it's so mind boggling to me. Like I I know that sometimes I think too logically, but it's like when someone says pick a number between one and a million, you pick five hundred thousand, right? Like you just, and then the next person just picks one over, like you know, you just or one under, depending on whether they think it's higher or lower. Like, it's just, it's so mind-boggling to me that, you know, he says, pick a number between one and a million, and then he literally picks four. Like, <laughs> you have you have closed off every single number. Statistically, you've lost once you said four. Well, they had to make the vote, the vote close. It wasn't going to be close. Yeah, it wasn't going to be close. And, and the thing is, is that whether people want to speculate or nothing, I, Shane was not voting for Aris, and so no. that was all just you know, smoke and mirrors anyway, but you know, it was kind of fun, I guess, maybe. I, I do love the irony of, of Shane at the end of the game votes for Danielle to win, which cracks me up if you know their relationship. <laughs> that, that That's another <laughs> knock. It was like, oh, Shane, well, you know, Shane, bring me. I was like, Shane voted for Danielle to win Survivor. <laughs> She's a meatball. <laughs> no, he did. He did say he did not have the option to abstain. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do think a lot of people forget that Shane did pick a number, which is one of those things a lot of people don't like on Survivor when finalists do pick a number. But even beloved hero Shane did pick a number. He was one of those. Although I am shocked we've gone this far without anybody mentioning Courtney's other speech, the one about chips on the shoulder. I think it was not the... Well, I think Mike, I even, Mike even mentioned that she acted it out. Where the hell were you? Oh, I guess I, I lost my audio for a minute, so never mind. I, I thought I thought you were saying you we didn't mention the the coke brick that washed up on Kasaya Shore, which I know finally <laughs> people out there, yes, we're mentioning it right now. A coke brick washed up on Kasaya. It's weird. It's crazy. It's fun. Yeah, and nothing happened with it. So then we have a winner. We have a winner. Yay! It's the beloved RS, the most exciting and dynamic winner in Survivor history. He's, well, he even's like he's like so low key. He's dressed in a hoodie at the, at the final <laughs> at the live vote for well, real. Well, and Danielle's dressed up like a pilgrim. 
Well, she is from Boston. That makes sense. <laughs> I always thought she looked like a pilgrim, and then Melinda in the reunion show looks like a Dixie chick pirate. <laughs> and, and Shane looks like he's from Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's got very the, interesting the, yeah. choices. And RS in the hoodie. But then again, RS was homeless, so it would make sense if he just they pulled him in off the street. Yeah, people talk about dreams as like the first ever homeless man on Survivor. No, it was Aris. <laughs> I do like I do like the little jab that Aris has, you know, in his final speech there when he's just like, Yeah, Shane, you mentioned I'm homeless and I mooch off my father. Help me, brother. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Good. I thought that was that was pretty good. But uh, the votes come down. Shane votes for Danielle, Bruce votes for Danielle, and uh, everyone else votes for Aris. He's our winner. Um I guess it's tough because I, you're right. It's not like immediately after the season and for seasons going on, I was I was along the, the lines of Aris is a really great winner and he's super misunderstood. I mean, he just sort of got, I think, buried it, just as the season in, in a lot of weird ways sort of got buried by a lot of people. Uh, but as seasons of Survivor went on and we got into the post-Russell Hans era, um, of Survivor, you start to look back at some of the of the previous winners, and you look at Aris, and you're like, you know, that guy did some positive things this season. He was the glue that held that crazy alliance together, and, you know, even though he sort of rode a wave near the end, where he was allied with Sari, and it was just he wasn't the lowest person on the totem pole in Kasaya when Terry was going on his winning streak, uh, you know, he was able in that final three to just convince Danielle to take him to the end, and he did, and he won. Yeah, it's interesting. Aris, I think, at the moment, still has the most votes to cast against him as a winner. Uh, I think he has nine. Um, and it's something to say that of the seven tribal councils that Aris went to where he wasn't immune, he got votes in five of them. Uh, and it's really interesting where, again, if you look at him on paper, you think like, oh, here's a boring winner. You know, here's like a more, here's like Ethan, but even more like watered down. And But you look at like, oh, he got votes in almost every tribal council he attended. It's clear that like he did face a good amount of opposition specifically from the Lamina. So I think that spices up his story at least a little bit. And I've always thought, like, f- for the story of Exile Island to come to a-, a conclusion that if Terry can't pull it out and Kasaya does, in fact, stay on top, like, it'd only be fitting that Aris be the one to take home the title because he was busting his ass so hard to, to beat Terry. Mm-hmm. It's funny, when I would talk about Exile Island over the years, I'd always think about it and talk about it like a... Well, Kasaya was this crazy, you know, the island of misfit toys, but they had one sane person in the middle holding them together. That was Aris, and that's the only reason he won and they survived is because of him. But again, if you watch the season, that's not actually the narrative. I mean, yeah, he's the sane one a bunch of bunch of, amongst a bunch of crazies, but at the end, that has nothing to do with why he wins. He wins because he goes badass against Terry, and then he kind of threatens Danielle, and then he, he gets lucky with Ceri's 3-2-1 plan, but he's kind of a badass at the end, making up, you know, the sexist stuff against Terry. So that's, he, he's not as, as passive and as sane as you think he is, but he's also not like a weak winner either. He gets stuff done. He, he gets kind of hardcore at the end. So he's kind of a misunderstood winner. He's not one that I tend to remember all that much. He's just, again, there were so many bigger characters in the season that it was, it was tough to really you know, be okay with an RS win. But again, he was the best player. Every winner deserves their win. He won the game. It wasn't the most exciting story, but you know, Exile on was an odd season, so maybe that's the only way it could have ended. There you go. And with that, I think we have reached Cook Islands, my friends. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, it, we're, we're getting to that place in Survivor history where, like, uh, w- when we did our, like, retrospective on the first 10 seasons, I think we were able to go down the line and say, like, okay, this season had an effect on Survivor in this way. We're getting to those years when it's sort of 
tough. I mean, I, I love Exile Island. It's definitely in like my top half, uh, my top 15 seasons thus far. Just because, again, it's a li- it might not be the most strategic season, but it is heavy on characters. Uh, but we're starting to get into that period of time where there's a little bit of survivor fatigue. And it's going to sort of, I think it's going to sort of fall into everyone's like collective middle ranks. Just because it's one of those seasons that sort of like ours just sort of fades into the, into the wallpaper after a while. Yeah, for me, it was never my favorite season. It's I rank it right there along with Guatemala as seasons that are kind of fun to watch every once in a while, but they're not really the best of Survivor. I mean, there's some good stuff going on, but it's never a season I remember that jumps out at me as being particularly fantastic. I, I had a lot of fun watching it for historians. It's fun to talk about it. But even when I get to the end, I'd still kind of rank it. It kind of goes right in there with Guatemala as kind of just middle-tier seasons. But again, compared to the season coming next, it's freaking platinum, so... <laughs> so yeah, we're about to get we're about to go from Empire Strikes Back to something crappy. So yeah, it's, I will. Not, it's not a secret. I'm not a fan of Cook Island. I think it's it's boring as hell, and I'm and I'm uh, I don't hate it like I hate X or All Stars. All Stars is the only season I actively hate, but Cook Islands will be a a a, a drudgery to get through, in my opinion. I'm so excited, so I'll stick up for it. I, I've given it some 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 heat on this on this podcast in the past, and uh, just to be quite honest, going into the season, Cook Islands is a season. The word I would describe for it, honestly, in, in a word, is it's a joyless season. Like there is, there's very little joy to be had in it. And 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 the thing about that is, is that that I think explains some of the things because a lot of people say, "How can you hate Cook Islands, Jay? It has Yule, who's a great winner." Okay, yes, it does. It has Jonathan Penner, one of the great uh, Survivor characters of all time. Yes, yes, it does. And it's got Ozzy, and it's got you know Billy being weird at the beginning with Candace, and it's got like all of these. It's got the mutiny, and it has all these. You know, and a, and a come from behind victory and a god tier hidden immunity idol. It has all these sort of pieces that you would think make a great season. And the answer is, it does have all those things. Why is it so bad? Mm-hmm. It's I I would say that and I think I talked about this actually in like the first interview I did with you guys for historians that um, Cook Island is one of those seasons that on a rewatch. As opposed to, I think, the past two seasons, which get fantastic on a rewatch once you kind of see everything that's ahead of you. Once you know what's going to happen in Cook Islands, I personally feel its stock lowers. Um, I mean, we're, we're going to be talking about the historical context of it as well. Cook Islands, the first time it aired, I, from what I could remember, was loved. Just because the I-24 was a storyline we had never seen before. It was like if Terry's storyline had fully come into fruition and he had won. Like, there was never this huge underdog story that... Was, it was almost cinematic, so it really caught a lot of people's attentions the first time out. But once you see what that already happens, and you see that the majority of the editing is focused around those components, it's a little hard to see what's between those cracks. Yeah, I will say that the Ewell versus Ozzy thing at the end is fantastic, and that's something Survivor was dying for. They needed you know, the big two, George Foreman against Muhammad Ali at the end. You need the big two fighters at the end. They'd never had that before other than maybe Australia, but Australia is just a whole different thing. But that's the one fantastic thing about Cook Islands, but I will say when you sit through and watch it just to get to that point, there's a lot of wasted airtime. I mean, there's five, six episodes in a row kind of in the middle that are pointless. There's nothing going on. Come It'll on, Mario. We cut them up like poop. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be interesting though, because we got, as you said before, Jay, we're gonna we're gonna have like almost the origin stories of 
you know, both Candace and Jonathan Penner, who come on a, a few more times, and then Parvati and Ozzy, who are considered by many casual fans to be like two of the top players of all time. So if, if there's going to be one interesting thing to glean from this experience, it'll be like, how are these people perceived their first time? Uh, because Parvati is, uh, has, to quote Shane, has a lot of rust on her this first <laughs> time out, and um, maybe not the same type of rust that Shane does. Hey, you left uh, Becky off that list. Oh yes, Becky. I know you're you're glowering at me for that right now, Becky. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Becky is so mad right now. Oh, uh, Becky, she's she's going ape shit right now. <laughs> All right, so I think we got to wrap this up. This is going to be a three and a half hour podcast. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about Exile Island, uh, Islands of Fire, uh, Megalon versus Godzilla? No, I'll say that the season for me is like I've come really like full circle on it. I've of really like coming to enjoy it again, even though there was a long period of time that didn't appreciate um, what it had. But I think it's also a testament to a show that doesn't, you don't need to have like awesome, awesome strategy for it to hold up over time. What you really need are the characters so that even if the pecking order is somewhat predictable, like if you can really fall back onto an awesome cast of characters, like that's when you get really magic on Survivor. So it was a lot of fun to go back and watch it again. We smashed it. We did. We're smashers we now. We are smashers. All right. So uh, I guess that's it. Next time you hear from us, we will be talking about Cook, about Cook Islands. I don't know if Paul will be here or not. We will have to negotiate with his people. Hopefully we can keep this a four-person podcast. But uh, as always, I'm Mario Lanza, and I should point out that uh, my ringtone is the Spice Girls, and that's only slightly gayer than Paul's ringtone. <laughs> I'm Jay Fisher, and uh, I gotta fly. Uh, I'm Mike Bloom, and uh, I'm I'm now fighting with Rupert over the uh, the guns that I found in the ocean. <laughs> um, and I'm Paul Osses, and I still got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. So look me up. All right, thanks for listening. If you have any comments or questions, send us survivorhistorians at gmail dot com. And as always, uh, chips on your shoulder of regret and anger are going to hold you down. So don't leave them there. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. Goodbye. But I'm holding no chip on my shoulder because chips on your shoulder of regret and anger weigh you down. And I'm a bird, so I gotta fly. Sometimes I run.